Captain America throws his mighty shield. The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. You're different. Now, don't let anyone tell you that you have nothing to offer. Second chances don't come around all that often. I suggest you take a really close look at it. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Marvel First Podcast. My name is Wu S. Kim and alongside me is Mr. James Hayfield, a.k.a. Cookie, Mo- Cookie Monster, oh, nom nom nom. <laughs> C is for Cookie and Cookie is for him. And we are here to talk about the 14, I cannot believe it's been 14 Marvel movies. Can you believe that in the MCU? Actually, I can because it's such a big universe, and I feel like with Marvel writing as high as they are, there's, there's bound, it was bound to hit 14 pretty quickly. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. Um, we are here to talk about Marvel's 14th movie in their Marvel Cinematic Universe, Doctor Strange. So right off the bat, James, what were your initial thoughts? I was like so in I like everything about this movie was just like fantastic for me. I mean, I do think the um like I having read interviews with Scott Derrickson about uh, the Ancient Ones casting, I've kind of forgiven that although I understand that I have a lo- few problems with it, but I'll get to that later, but generally yeah, at least they like addressed when, that. Like Ghost in the Shell yeah. and you and their press junkets, they even specifically said we will not be answering any whitewashing controversy questions. Yeah, but Scott Derrickson addressed that and I'm happy and thankful we're gonna do that. But um just watching the movie, like I was so into it and I was just like it's honestly one of the best Marvel movies I've seen in a long time and I um and I love that uh yeah, it was just an amazing movie and I was I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Um, my initial thoughts on it were um, they were kind of mixed coming in to, to be truthful I mean Civil War was such a phenomenal success and to come back with something completely 180 to that it's a danger especially what's been called superhero like origin fatigue, I think is the word that's been called. Yeah, but this this movie felt like it was telling. It felt like an origin story, but it felt like it was telling it differently than any other film had up until this point. Yeah, so. and one of the things, but once I saw the awesome new Marvel Studios logo, which if you did you see it in three D? No, I didn't. I didn't really. I don't really care for three D. So well, seeing it in three D, that new Marvel logo was fantastic. Let's talk about that a little bit. Was this the first time you'd ever seen the new? I'd seen it. I'd seen it like when they released like a little video of it, but I hadn't seen it before a movie before. Yeah. I honestly like. I, I kind of oh, missed so, the old one, but I think the new one still is pretty cool. So well, the problem with the old one is that it looked too much like Fox's Marvel logo. And well, I think, it's the same one all the way across the board, I think. Well, no, no they changed the, the studio logo. Oh. No, no Marvel Studios is, like, side by side with each other. Before, it was just Marvel and then underneath the studios. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. But one of the things I really enjoyed about 
just that uh, just that new intro created by Michael Chikino, by the way. He's the one that did the music for this film and for the new right. Marvel Studios logo. Is that it was specifically saying, we are Marvel. Except mm -hmm. no substitutes. We are Marvel. <laughs> yeah, it was just, um, but yeah, it was pretty cool seeing that new logo. And I feel like, um, I just do miss the old one where it was like, um, like it actually kept the comic book pages in there because I feel like the comic books are very um, integral to this and this and I, I understand that like it's a, it's the studios thing and like they want to focus on the movies and the show and like the um, visual aspect of it but I feel like uh, keeping the comic books tied into that was kind of important so I don't know. Yeah, true, but yeah, at the same time, you 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 want to embrace like they start with comic book and then they went into like pre-visualization and then they went into scripts and then you saw the finished product with the um marvel stuff in the like the actual cut scenes from the marvel films i think it worked really well um let, let's get into the story itself i've heard a lot of things about the story i thought the story worked very very well it moved quicker which i can appreciate because one of the things that i have a problem with the, with these big budget films since the dark knight in 2008 is that scenes drag on where they really don't need to drag on right and this one felt like um it used the visuals to tell a story in a way that was actually like well used it didn't uh necessarily there was like a good bit of montage obviously but the montage was there for a reason and it didn't feel um uh, and it just kept the pace up where it needed to be kept up, and I think the pacing was fantastic in the movie for sure. And I think it's also another thing of, you know, Stephen Strange, PH Stephen, by the way, let's be curious <laughs> with the other Stephen in this universe, but Stephen Strange is not a nice guy. Right, and that's what that was made abundantly clear in that scene where he was in his apartment. I was like, wow, okay, you are not a good guy. His next must have been Wilson Fisk. I mean, didn't that look like Wilson Fisk's penthouse from Daredevil? Well, except it's uh, you could t except it's not as tall up off the ground, obviously, because it's uh, eye level. It's like below eye level with a bunch of buildings, whereas Fisk was really high up above a bunch of them. So in my mind, they're the same building. Maybe he's just maybe it's maybe like Strange lives a couple lived a couple floors underneath Fisk. Yeah, but <laughs> um, I I once again like they did with Daredevil, like they did with Iron Man. With, like they did with, you know, with not so much Steve Rogers or Thor, but in the first few shots, you are you're completely aware of who Doctor Stephen Strange is. He isn't a nice guy, and I've heard a lot of comparisons between Tony Stark and Stephen Strange. Here's the difference, though: Tony Stark is being a jerk just for the sake of humor. Deep down, he is trying to be a good person. Stephen Strange doesn't care about any of that. Yeah, you know, he's a he's a very um, like even Benedict when he was uh, first reading the character, he was um, he was feeling like, oh, this guy feels very similar to other people I've talked to, I have played before. But um, and he was very resistant to playing that role for that reason. Yeah, but eventually they uh, swung him around after they I think and after and I um, think it was for the better of it because. Um, even when Marvel, like uh, I read interviews with Kevin Feige and Scott Derrickson where they um, said even when they were uh, 
like looking at other actors like Joaquin Phoenix and Ethan Hawke, they were still thinking, we gotta get Benedict Cumberbatch to be perfect for this. I could so, see Ethan Hawke, but I didn't yeah, think I could, it would have been a layered performance like Cumberbatch. Did. Well, Ethan Hawke, can, Ethan Hawke, I think, is kind of underrated because he is a really good actor. It's just that he doesn't get as much... Um, he doesn't get roles that like really allow him to show his range. And oh, I think Joaquin, uh, absolutely. absolutely. Joaquin Phoenix would have played, I think, a little too wooden. I don't think... Joaquin Phoenix is not really one I've noticed that... Um, has a lot of genuine humor. I think like all of his humor is either ironic or um, uh, it feels very forced. But uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, I think, definitely has a lot of has a good bit of humor in his heart. I think with Ethan Hawke, and this is just my opinion of Ethan Hawke, is he could have played Doctor Stephen Strange, but it would it would be kind of a stretch to see him as the sorcerer. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, kind of, because he seems like a very grounded person. He so it feels like a good old boy, and um, Benedict Cumberbatch kind of has that, like, uh, just that oddness to him that makes it seem like, you know what, this guy could be a little, this guy could not, could be um, a little weird. <laughs> I think my favorite thing in all these Marvel movies is your first shot with the main character, and I love when he's, like, putting um, Shining Star by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's kind of like the same thing with Tony Stark. Like I've done this like hundreds of thousands of times. I can I could do this blindfolded. Probably did to just challenge himself. But let's talk about the comic book origin. It's pretty darn close to what we have in the original comics. Yeah, I mean, I mean Scott Derrickson. I mean Kevin Feige has said like this is a passion project for him. And I think when Scott Derrickson he found a guy who had just as much passion for the project for it. And um, both of them have said that that they love Doctor Strange's origin story and. Um, uh, the fact that they uh, like, and you can see it in the movie. Like, there's so much passion for the entire project going on every panel, on every frame of the film, and I um, uh, and it shows in the story too because they really did keep it, from what I know about Doctor Strange's origin story, pretty close to the um, comic books. And I have to say, I feel like um, I I did I did uh, a dumbass when um, Strange like hit that other car and went careening off the road, like. Dude, you had that coming. <laughs> say, say that one more time. I lost you there for a little. Bit. Like, I, where where at? Um, before before Doctor Strange's accident, you were saying. Oh well, I mean, when I, I said like verbally that when in the theater when like I when he um hit that other car and went creeping off the road, I was like, you dumbass, you had that coming. Yeah, and driving fast. That, I love the thing from at the if you stay through the end of the credits, which I obviously did. Yeah, with the last line before they went into that end credit scene was, "You should not text while driving." Text and drive yes, yes i saw that too and i'm glad they put that in just because it, it amazes me how many people still do that or multi yeah well i mean he wasn't exactly texting he was talking and looking at his phone but it's not yeah, like uh still he was not like paying attention um speaking of that accident my god the yeah it was brutal did... no it was actually brutal i was like this is actually a really brutal uh marvel movie i was kind of surprised even if it's not like violent or bloody or anything like there was still some pretty like it just this felt brutal, like watching his hands go through the dashboard and all the pins in his hand. It just, just ugh. And did like, th did this happen in your um in your screening when 
they showed the the pins in his hands. Did this happen? Like, did you hear like an audible gasp? Um, I don't think so, but I mean, like, uh, I just like I medical stuff, like certain medical things, like even when he was um, messing around in that guy's skull trying to pull the bullet out, I was just like, like just like certain things, I just they feel icky. <laughs> and it's, oh, that makes you squeamish a little bit. It's not like it's not like horrible, but I'm just like, ah, okay, they're going because the oh. reason I ask is during during my screening, um. They, someone literally, like, I could hear Stanley in the background going, oh my god. Because, mm -hmm. like you said, like, that thing is brutal. Even afterwards where you see, not even in, like, a long shot or anything, but you see um, like, the scars still in his hands from the operation. Yeah. And speaking of brutal, one of the most brutal dialogue is when Cumberbatch tells Rachel McAdams' character scene to just go screw yourself. Don't yeah, that, anymore. yeah, like I said, that was the moment where I realized like, you are a piece of shit, Dr. Mr. Stur <laughs> Mr. Doc. Doctor. <laughs> I was waiting to put that in somewhere, but I needed to find somewhere to put it in. But there it is, Doctor. Yeah. It was just, um, yeah, that scene, like, I think that's one of the very, this is like the, I think that was another thing that I really like um, about the movie is that it didn't shy away from making their char the character kind of unlikable in the beginning. Oh, absolutely. Like, like even Tony Stark was likable, like, was likable when he was a jerk, because you, like, you know where he's going, sort of, you know where his situation he's about to be in, but here you kind of, like, if you're not familiar with his origin story, Doctor strains like really puts you off in the beginning he's just yeah. a person and for those who've seen the the 2007 animated film they keep up with that too with him just being very self-centered i mean it's like the kid who always got straight a's in school i mean he literally did get all straight a's in school yeah, because like, like he kind of rubs that in people's faces all throughout the movie for the most part and like i understand it to a certain degree i don't i don't particularly commend it but i can understand that when you've been good at this your whole life and pretty much been good at everything why be yeah. humble what's mm -hmm. the point yeah well, i mean yeah and he don't you don't learn hum humbleness only um humbleness i don't know if that's the word i'm trying to think of like it is it is it, anyways that humility that's the word humility um humility only comes after you fail and when you don't fail at all like you you lose the ability to empathize with people in a in a way and um that's what's and that's like this his whole journey at uh Camertage and um not being able to spoiler alert obviously not being able to save the ancient one was um i think a big moment of humility for strange well it's not even like <laughs> like empathizing with other people when you can do things that other people can't like literally can't and we see and, that when he's trying to get other people their parents hands and no one's gonna do it right and i wonder like it's interesting thinking about he said yeah, i could do a better job and then you wonder like if he had the ability to do a better job would he have this is yeah. the question so yeah um we, after the accident like here's one of the things that i think marvel did very very well which is bigger than their villain problem air quotes which we'll get into in a couple minutes but one of the things that i did think they did extremely extremely well was um their use of their supporting characters the supporting yeah. characters in this movie were done very well and they served their role i think the biggest yeah. perpetrator of characters that don't need to be there in marvel movies is thor yeah like i mean i love cat dennings but we do we really need that character in the story i mean that's why i think they're cutting a lot of the earth stuff out of thor ragnarok from what i understand yeah. Yeah. Scares. Um, and also Natalie Portman I don't think is uh, coming back for Marvel movies so yeah because like her and Idris Alba like are and understandably so they think they're underutilized and they really don't need to be there which I totally see their point but yeah. I think Rachel McAdams character 
was perfect for what he needed to be. Yeah, and I think and, she has, she'll probably have more of a role later on now that there's a couple other characters that uh, aren't going to be as much in focus or in focus in different ways in the next movies. So. Or maybe not, because the way they set that character up, you don't necessarily need to see her again. Yeah, but then, and actually it would be kind of cool if she uh, popped up in a Netflix show. Probably. But. probably. Um, but after the agent one goes to every one of his medical professionals, and by the way, before we, before I forget, there was a little nice little nod to Captain America. With well, actually, in the car scene is what you're talking about. Yeah, where his assistant <laughs> gives him—they don't yeah. say his name specifically, but we're yeah, all it's like a 35-year-old colonel who's paralyzed. But they actually said later in the—they um, actually said uh, in other interviews that that actually wasn't intended to be Rhodey, but people took it as Rhodey. So yeah, well, you put that in there, you think I mean, you just assume that it is good, it is Rhodey, but whether it is or it isn't, I just thought it was a Civil War reference. But you see Doctor Strange going everywhere trying to get his hands fixed, and no one going to do it and then he runs into a guy who is paralyzed placed by Benjamin Pratt who tells him about this magical place called Karmatash mm-hmm. sounds like yeah. a drink that you would get at a bar didn't they didn't you say that in the movie or am I wrong I think I think they might have I think they might have but here's one of the other pluses of Scott Derrickson as a director one of my problems with Marvel movies and yes I can say negative things about the MCU um a lot of their shots are not, what's the best way to put this? They feel like TV shots where you don't see the scope of the location, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think um, Ant-Man and uh, Marvel, Doctor Strange have definitely like been moving in directions away from that because they want to... Like, even Stan Lee said that uh, he got angry at the artists who were drawing Ant-Man, especially because they always, um, they never put anything in this in this uh, panel to show, like, how tiny he is. So, like, I think Marvel is definitely getting directors who understand, like, that they have to keep, uh, they have to keep the world, like, fresh in their mind. They have to keep the world fresh in the audience's minds. And um, going with that, like, and there's a good transition into the visual effects of the movie. Like, the visuals were absolutely astounding in this thing. And I have to, um, the visual effects, team i imagine scott derrickson probably sold them for a lot of it just like okay tell me what you want to do here tell me what you need in terms of physical shots and then just go have fun (laughs) yeah because i mean that's what it felt like to me like i feel like the visual effects team was given a lot of free reign on how to create these scenes and it just worked out amazingly yeah absolutely because the visual effects are the one thing that sold this movie more than anything else this is one of the few movies that didn't treat 3d Real D, 3D, and IMAX 3D, not as a gimmick, you know? Right. Like, Again, for, I didn't see it in 3D, I saw it in 2D, but even still, it just, but, like... But even so, up. you could see where the 3D would even take this even further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when um, Dr. Strange goes to Convertage, I'm sorry, I I thought this was, was absolutely hilarious, and I'm, I thank the writers for putting this in. Thank you for ma- like pointing out the fact of the whitewashing controversy when Dr. Strange thinks the, the old Asian guy is the ancient one and then Tickless yeah. Wind shows up. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, and I think it's um, I haven't mentioned this yet, but uh, Scott Derrickson said in an interview that the reason why, I mean, I know a lot of people got angry about the, that um, Tilda Swinton basically is like playing a whitewashed character, but um, Scott Derrickson said that like when he was talking with his writers, like he always knew he wanted to make the ancient one a, 
woman, but he um and he was gonna make her Asian, but every time they tried to put the script together, it, like she came out sounding like a dragon lady. Yeah. And or didn't um, want, Madam Gal. Yeah, and he didn't want to do have that happen because um like he wanted not to offend Asian people, so but that um inadvertently did the backfire. So what I think that this shows, at least in my view, is that you need to start hiring more diverse writers when you have stories that have such a large element of another culture. You have to start having voices on your creative team that like sticks that know that culture and know how to write it in a way that can be like um that is like tasteful and works with the story and still works with the story so and even um, still people aren't gonna get upset because that's yeah, just but, how people work yeah but i think if it would have made people less upset if you had like a if they had an asian writer working on it who would be able to like to um like integrate the uh ancient ones asianness a little bit more fluidly but yeah, yeah. But it, uh, it's. I still think Tilda Swinton gave a fantastic performance with what she had, and she definitely felt like right for the part. Um, even if she is white, it's just like she had that aura about her of like having knowing more than she said for sure. But on to like the here's the thing though, like no one seems to. Well, it's because no one like really knows Doctor Strange, but I haven't seen anybody or heard anybody complain about she would tell Edgy or being yeah. Carl Mortal well, when that character in the comic like. Well, I mean, people are. Um, I think. The thing about it is that people are more open to having uh, more diverse interpretations of characters, especially since most of the characters that were created already were white. So introducing some other um, elements of uh, so in, that's why that's why Hamilton exists is because like it's about and that's why Hamilton is so popular is because it takes people who are all white but it, like thinks about it more creatively and, and and like cast actors who are more who are right for the part but aren't necessarily white. So yeah, absolutely. in fact, like in fact, I think they're encouraged to um, uh, they're encouraged to. Uh, cast uh, actors of color, so yeah, yeah. Except it's, for George, who I think they make white deliberately. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, but going to the ancient one and going to Carl Mordo, I loved Tilda Swinton in this. She's so captivating when she talks, and I think and she can also nail uh, humorous lines. So yeah, and I love when she takes Strange on his first magical mystery tour through <laughs> the different realms. And speaking of, I caught this, and I don't. I don't know if many people did. Doctor Strange goes through the microverse. I think I, yeah, like there's like, yeah, there's like stuff that's really big around him, I guess. I, I think I saw that. Like yeah, the quantum we realm. saw the microverse in Ant-Man and um, I'm so glad that they brought that in because Kevin Feige has talked about doing a multiverse which, quite frankly, makes me facepalm because I mean, anybody who knows anything about the multiverse, it is very easy to screw that up. Yeah, and I, th I think Kevin Feige is, uh, knows what he's doing and he knows how to Correct this uh, big, huge ship that's going around. So I think it's gonna be fine. And I think if um, this out, this opens up a big door where if they ever get the rights to um, Fantastic Four or X Men back, this is a really way, a good way to like easily introduce them. So yeah. And I think yeah, Doctor Strange has been said already that like it opens up a ton of doors for the next uh, for the future of the Marvel universe, and I can see that for sure. And a ton um, of beers, which we'll be getting to in the end, <laughs> the end of this, but. I, the most amazing visual effect shot to me and I don't know it's because I I wasn't expecting it I heard about it but hearing about it and seeing it are two different things when the little hands spread up on the ends of Dr. Strange fingertips yeah yeah I was looking at I was watching that shot and they like I, I was I was having trouble like finding where I like I was watching it and I was like focusing on one little hand and I realized there was another little hand spreading off it I was like trying to find the end of the hand 
end. It was just like, wow. <laughs> yes. And one of my favorite comedic gags throughout the whole thing, Dr. Shane says, teach me, which we, which we heard no. in the tr- teaser sure. trailer. And then she just goes, no. No. And then just drops him on the doorstep. <laughs> and for about, like, five hours, Strange is doing the, like, his best interpretation of the captain from Wally when the captain <laughs> goes, Mutiny! 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 And then finally the two ones opens the door. And... Actually, it was Mordo who opens the door, I think. Oh, but... is, it, is it Mordo? Yeah, I think yeah, I think it is Mordo. Okay. Or, well, no, we never see who it is because he just says thank you after the yeah, door is open. that's one of my other favorite lines is when they, they just do that, like, really... He falls backwards and he's just like, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> uh, here's something that is very controversial. I mean, I mean, what's not in this world anymore, but I love the idea that they brought a lot of this Eastern mysticism in just because there is, like, one way to do something. It doesn't mean it's the only way. What did you think right. about the teachings of the ancients? I think it is interesting, and I think um, the movie definitely makes it feel like uh, the world is more complicated than just uh, one thing or the other. And I think um, it definitely, like, is very self-aware of, like, it made it, the story explains complex issues without feeling complex. And it's, uh, and I give it a lot of credit for that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like the story so much is it feels complex, but it's, or it is complex, but it feels simple. Yeah. And, and by the way, we sh- do need to mention the tea joke. What's in that tea? Oh, oh tea. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I just like, but the thing about that is just, um, uh, like, for example, Mordo's whole um, journey as a character and like how he doesn't understand or uh, um, he's not willing to see like the complexity of um, uh, the reason why the Ancient One is doing what she did, did what she did and whatever and why Strange did what he did. And uh, the same thing with, I think, um, like the Ancient, like Strange himself, like he he kind of goes through that R2 where he realizes that things are complex and he can do things without having to do it the way other people do. And it's all about, really, I think the movie is a way about finding how to think for yourself in a lot of ways. And um, uh, Mordo takes that in one way and Strange takes it another way. And it's uh, going to be an interesting journey watching those two characters go head to head at well, time. I, I think it's also a situation where you have the mom in the ancient one where she knows more than her children do. And the fact is that she doesn't want to let her children in on everything because if what they know won't hurt. If, if you know there's a way well, to well, she knows death. that. Well, she knows that in Morgan's case specifically, if he did know, it would hurt him very much. So Absolutely. Because uh, this is my, my biggest problem with humanity in general. If they can, they will. Right. And I think know. that's what, that's oh, sorry, what Strange learns very quickly with um, the book that he tried to open the dark dimension or whatever. And um, at the fact that they all the, the whole line with um, the warnings come after the spells is I think it speaks to you have to do a lot more you can't just do something for the sake of it almost sounds like Jurassic Park you can't just do something because yeah you can't. I was thinking have, the exact same thing actually I was to, thinking like, you have to think about it more deeply and honestly it just makes me happy that um, like Jeff Goldblum if he was younger would be a pretty cool Doctor Strange too and but, he will be in Thor Ragnarok yeah I was gonna say like he's gonna be in Thor Ragnarok which is gonna be cool and so is Doctor Strange so that's gonna be fun Um, but going back to what I was saying earlier like it, the reason the ancient one hit the secrets of what they could what sorcerers could actually do humanity would abuse them. yeah and Cassilius obviously does as she sees so and see, which I think is honestly like people say Cassilius is kind of a one dimensional villain but he really didn't feel one dimensional in the no, movie like it's 
He's and simplistic, I, but that's not one bench. And I and I, fe- and I I think I figured out what makes certain Marvel villains feel that way, and it's the reason is that they never interact with the heroes of the story. They only ever interact with people who are also villains or just people who are near them. They never the villains and the heroes never get together until the last battle. Yeah. Which is my Look Ronin at Malekith and Thor. Look at Darren Cross and Ant. Look at yeah. Zemo and. Actually, no. I would say um, I did think Darren Cross was okay because he was interacting with uh, Janet. Or no, not Jen. Hope a lot. So I, I get. I thought he was pretty good. I, I think um, the ones that stand out for me are Ronan and uh, Malekith because Ronan only ever interacted with Nebula, who never said a word against him, and never, so he never really got a chance to do anything funny with his lines. And um, except for that one uh, line, what do you do? Yeah, and then um, well, no, but that was because he was interacting with Quill. Remember? So yeah. like, once, once you get them next to the hero, they start to shine a little bit. But then also, th- but they only had a fight scene with Drax, and he never really talked much through it. He just kind of talked down to Drax. Well, never, here's the thing about villains in general and but yeah yeah and the thing with Malekith is the same thing is that he never he only ever talked to people who were close to him he very rarely talked to anyone besides Thor and when he was he was always in control but the thing about what makes a villain a villain and a good villain is the struggle between them and the hero and that has to come when they're um, when they're uh, facing each other and they're battling for power in a way that feels like they're evenly matched or you can't tell what the outcome already is going to be but with um, Guardians and Drax's fight with Rome Ronan and everything leading up with Ronan to that. Ronan always felt like he was in control of the situation. You always knew that he was going to win in those situations and it was only at the very end that he it felt like he was going to lose and that's honestly really boring because you never get a sense that this villain could fail. It just feels like an endless dread that doesn't really pull off very well because you know also this is a story where the heroes are going to win so with um and same thing with Malekith but with uh here like when you put this villain and the hero close by each other several times and they actually like feel evenly matched it starts to you start to see that this bill it brings out the villain's colors and instead of just one so well and here's the thing about Kaiselius because yeah. he is not a one-dimensional villain. He is a very simplistic villain. But simplistic does not mean one-dimensional. He wants to live forever because he's been through so much pain. Like right. Mordo. And the thing of it is, his point of view, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with it? If you can, shouldn't you? And the yeah. ancient one's thing is, no, you couldn't. No, you shouldn't because that's not the natural order. Pain well, should no. come in life because pain is a part of life. Right. And I think the thing about it is, like, like, um, the Ancient One, like, she knows you shouldn't, and because, like, well, obviously she knows what happens on the other side of it, but the thing is, like, Caecilius obviously knows that the Ancient One uses, draws on this power, and what I think really is his deal is that he's jealous of that in a lot of ways, and he also resents, um, power being kept away from him. And the, the, the fact that the Ancient One was not willing to share that Yeah, power. And, like, and, um, he didn't understand the torment that she goes through, and he didn't want to listen to her when he said that, because... And that's the thing that it honestly resembles Trumpism in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's kind of bad. But I think uh, and it's kind of poetic at the end, really, when, um, like they say, like like you said, life, uh, pain is part of life. Well, the life that, the eternal life that Dormammu offers is an eternity of pain. Yeah. And Strange experiences that kind of firsthand, even though he indirectly does it with the time loop. And um, uh, it's just an interest. It's a very, it's, a, it's just a very well-written movie in so many ways. Like the themes become, the themes are so well-developed and the characters are so well-developed that I have to give a lot of credit to the screenwriters, Scott Derrickson, C. Robert Carroll, and um, John Spades, because they did a great job. See, here, and here's the other thing, too. If you extended that film... 
15 minutes to get a little bit more depth out of the characters, which I was, I will say a lot of people wanted, the pacing would be slowed down. Right. And that's the big, and honestly, that's the problem with a lot of superhero movies nowadays, is you go into rabbit holes where you really don't need to go into. Mm-hmm. And you spend time in story arcs that really don't need to be explored. And I, I'm with you. I think that's one of the more positive things about this movie. It doesn't stay on a topic very long because it doesn't need to stay on a topic. Right. And the th- the thing with the thing with like um the darkness of Dormammu is you won't be able to feel anything. And I think that's why Caesilius wants to have everybody in that realm because to not feel anything is better than feeling pain but i think what's very interesting about mordo's character is that of an adopted child that didn't know he was adopted right that's a good way to put it i think and um honestly like i feel a lot of connection with mordo and james from agents of shield here because um both of them are coming i think from the same place mentally and i think that's why james does what he does and why mordo does what he does because they feel betrayed by the very things that um they believed in and they were uh um raised on sort of or like like what they they do what they feel betrayed by what they believed in and so that's why mordo wants to kill all the sorcerers that's why james wants to kill all the inhumans it's just the same recurring theme of being betrayed by those you thought were with you or those you or something you thought you identified with and i think where we're gonna go essentially in the next doctor strange movie whenever that is is dormammu named after his mother dormammu Um, I'm sorry. Ever since I heard some of these names as a kid, it's like, you know, and even as a teen, it's like, how much acid did they drug or liquor did they drink coming up with these names? But later to well, find out that Steve Ditko was very, like, straight edge, like, okay, you're just, you're just like a unique dude. Yeah, Steve Ditko's a weird character, an interesting person, but we'll go still, into that some other way. Somewhere still else, alive. So. He still lives in New York City. Yeah, um, I don't know. I wonder what he thinks of the movie. He hasn't said anything about it. I don't well, think I, so. I think he's, like, very much a recluse. Like, yeah, he is. The only person that he really talked to to this day is Stanley, and that's pretty much the only only person from that world he'll talk to. But but to go into to go, to go back into Mordo, I think where they're gonna go with the second film is uh, dissimilar to the comic where Mordo is pretty much Caecilius. In this version, Mordo will be more of Dormammu. Part. Yeah, but I feel like actually I don't think Mordo is gonna ever go to Dormammu honestly, because I feel like the thing about Mordo is that he um he sees Dormammu as the ultimate antagonist and he sees strange as an antagonist here because um he feels like like mordu is the embodiment of non-compromise and um the thing is that and that's the thing that we're running into in america here right now and i think that's one of the reasons why another another reason why this film like rings so strongly is that mordu will not compromise about anything he will not compromise that dormammu is the ultimate evil and he will not compromise with anyone he will not compromise on the idea that you you should not reckon with Dormammu. You shouldn't even tempt. You shouldn't even like talk to Dormammu. You just need to keep him away. But you and, still need to fight. Yeah, and so, but um, he uh he also think I think he thinks that the sorcerers are becoming too bureaucratic for their own good. He's like an he's an anarchist in a lot of ways. He's an anarchist. He becomes an anarchist in the course of the movie, and it's a very Steve Ditko character in a lot of ways. So um, it just it that's what it feels like to me is that Mordu or Mordo is a 
character who um, is going on a journey and he's kind of he's lost his path. And I feel like that's what a lot that's what that's what makes a great villain. Honestly, is a guy who has intentions of who wants to do something that is ultimately positive, but he goes about it in the absolutely the wrong way and he doesn't listen to anyone who wants to try and help him otherwise. Well, look at it this way, like. Like, Mordo is Darth Vader. Yeah. Um, the ancient one is Qui-Gon. Doctor Strange. Well, actually, Obi- more like Obi-Wan. Honestly. Well, no. No, actually, like, you're right. You're, you're, she is Qui-Gon, yeah. really. And then Mordo is Obi-Wan. And if our, our um, Marvel mom, Nick, was here, she no. Uh, no, uh, Mordo is Darth Vader. Strange is Obi-Wan. Yeah. And so. then Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon is the ancient one. But, but we we shouldn't go any further without talking about Wong. Same dude. Yeah, Wong was, I thought Wong was great. <laughs> um, Wong is, and I'm so glad they did this. In the comics, Wong is pretty much Asian Jarvis. Or Alfred, or whoever. So. Yeah, that's basically what he is. But in this version, Wong is, you know, Kato who gets Doom more. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I think um, he and is Wong. Rhodey to Doctor Strange's Iron. Yeah, yeah, that's what he should be, also. Is like, although it is kind of putting it in that way, like, you kind of, it kind of makes them sound like they're token characters, but they're really not. Well, um, I mean, it's like, I mean, Stanley has said many, many times. He doesn't like psychic, but he right. does like superheroes to have best friend. Harry Osborn, you know, Foggy Nelson. Right. And um yeah, and Wong just like he is I think he's honestly more qualified to be the Sorcerer Supreme than Doctor Strange, honestly. Because if you look at him, like he's um uh like in the movie, like he obviously has done this been doing this for a lot longer than Strange has. He um he may not be necessarily more skilled than Strange is, but he's definitely like he knows the way he's like the Hillary Clinton, whereas um Strange is kind of like uh Bernie Sanders. No, not Bernie Sanders, because Bernie's been doing this for a long time too. It's um, Barack Obama. Uh, I guess, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Honestly, he's he's yeah. Strange as Barack Obama in this but case. But here's I guess. the thing with Wong, which I find very, very um, kind of funny, but very empowering in a sense. He knows how good he is, but he's just not interested in the old power sorcerer. Yeah, he's inter- He wants to. He just wants to do his job and defend the sanctum. And, yeah, and, I'm good at my job. I want to be doing my job. I don't right. need to be doing something else, something more. And I. And we need to talk about this because what did you think about the humor in this film? I bring that up because one of the most humorous things in the whole film for me was listening, like, um, Wong on his to... iPad listening to Beyonce. Yeah, that I just I love how like Wong doesn't give Strange a, doesn't throw Strange any bones at all. He just like looks at him like he is the dumbest person on the planet. But I think Wong in a lot of ways like he really he Strange grows on him very quickly, and I think he actually likes Strange from the beginning. He just um, wants to give him some. He just wants to like bring him down a couple notches. Yeah, his Strange needs that quite frankly. Yeah, and Wong recognizes that, and I think that's why he uh, doesn't give Strange any any uh anything so and Benedict Wong's laugh at the end of this film is so out of nowhere that makes me laugh so much. Yeah he lets himself have that one so but the through line for Doctor Strange to go back to Doctor Strange from where he started to where he in the middle of the movie to where he ended up with the thing with Dormammu it took me one or two times to understand what was going on here. But what did you think of Dormammu? Yeah it took like once he like died it was like wait what? And then then they re 
in the time loop when I was like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. Speaking of, uh, because it's like, came, to... there was like no real indication of what was going on. Like you knew Strange did something, but you're like, okay, that was something. And then, <laughs> then you then start actually happens. You're like, wait, what? And then, oh, and you just like, once it starts happening, you're like, oh. <laughs> did, you, did you like the the characters uh, the characterization of Dormammu being a combination of what looked like um, Galactus from Rise of the Silver Surfer and um, the Ether rather than well, Flaming Head Guy? Well, I think what's going to happen with Dormammu is that that's what he looks like in the Dark Dimension, which is his home. But my idea here is that in the future, if he comes back, because Kaecilius is technically not dead, what he could do is just like take Kaecilius' body and possess it, and that's when he becomes Flaming Head Guy. But um, then they also run the risk of him looking too much like uh, Ghost Rider. So you gotta, they have to, once they, if they do do Dormammu as a Flaming Head Guy, they have to be, uh, they have to make his design look very unique and very, yeah. um, and that And that's the problem because, you know, <laughs> that's the same thing with the Vision in the Avengers is originally the Vision is, and for, this is for non-hardcore um, Marvel fans, but originally the Vision is red and green, but... Yeah, he's red and green in the movies too. No, in the movies he's more of a uh, purplish... Yeah, red. but it's still like the same sort of color. But, but complementary color my point is they made him that color to to differentiate him from Spider-Man, Daredevil, and Iron. There's a lot of yeah. red guy with in similar costumes. Seems like the early uh, Marvel artists like uh, red. Yeah, well, I mean, and you yeah, understand what? why they did what they did in the movie. Yeah, and I think also from what I remember, if I don't know if I heard the film is correct or not, but I think red ink is actually was actually cheaper back then, so that may be why they made them so many of them red. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, but one, but what you just said about Dormammu inhabiting himself in Kaecilius' body is another, not cheap way, but another good way that you could possibly bring back Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, because I think Mads Mikkelsen would be, is a great actor, and I think he could definitely keep his, hold his own in, uh, in the future of these movies, so. Um, we totally skipped over this, and we shouldn't have, um, the fight in the astral plane when they're fighting in their astral form. Yeah, that, that was, was amazing actually, to watch. I thought that was, I think that from what I read, that was like the scene that um, Scott Derrickson did, uh, like spent a quote, quote, an obnoxious amount of his own money doing previs for to make a pitch to actually direct the movie. And that was like basically what got in the movie is the previs for that scene. So. Yeah. And you know what? You will get awarded for effort in Marvel. So yeah. good, good on Scott Derrickson. I love the... We have to talk about the fight in the mirror world. It moves so quickly that you need to see that scene maybe three or four times to understand what's actually really going on here. Yeah, but I think that was the scene that like definitely showed... That was like the peak of the um, uh, integrating visual effects and reality in the um, movie because I feel like the uh, trip scene was very effects heavy and not so much human heavy, but then what the mirror dimension scene is the one that really... like. Um, shows that reality and visual effects work side by side in this movie and it's uh it was just really awesome like do thinking of like i have to wonder like how how you can be scott derrickson and the visual effects team like pre-visualizing all of this and managing to make it reality that's one of the things that i'm looking forward to on the blu-ray yeah, yeah like because you can't i mean i mean we've been watching movies a long time i think all of our listeners have been watching a long time we can notice when something's like cg and yeah. real we know how visualization and it doesn't help with the, it's actually kind of a detriment with bd and blu-ray when 
when you have like three discs of special features of how they did what they did but with this you really can't tell mm -hmm. and by the well, way I mean, you, you can tell but it feels more seamless than it would in any other movie I think just because of the magic element so you like expect it to look a little bit different and I think but, Scott Derrickson being a horror director because I did look him up before we yeah he did Sinister he did yeah. uh, a bunch of yeah he's done a bunch of he's done a lot more horror movies than he has any other kind of movie and you can see that kind of horror element in the movie overall I do not want to skip over this as well great Stanley cameo yeah that was one of the ones that apparently like with James Gunn filmed all the ones that he did for the future like uh, he basically like laid out a bunch of ones that Scott Derrick that he all the ones they picked for Scott Derrickson Scott Derrickson just picked the one that he liked the best so yeah so like <laughs> literally they had like like China patterns and like which China pattern do you want for your movie but I, I really liked it it came out of nowhere they, yeah like this they cameo oh sorry go ahead no go ahead what were you gonna say this cameo is right up there with the first Thor film it's my <laughs> favorite Stanley cameos yeah I think I like how it um I think the thing about the cameo for sure is that all the cameos that they probably that James Gunn probably filmed is that uh they probably all filmed in front of a green screen so they could integrate them wherever they needed to in the next movies and then um I can only imagine like seeing Benedict and or how they filmed Benedict Cumberbatch and Shway to Legend 4 like filming the uh them being pressed up against the glass because I mean I can <laughs> I have to imagine just like them probably thinking what the hell are we even doing right now <laughs> yeah because like that was one of the big deterrents of the Star Wars prequels is there was a lot of green screen and not enough set but um going going back to like the effects and everything I loved the fight scenes in this film there were not yeah. a lot of fight scenes but a lot of people were um not a lot of people some people like were were like why does it Casillas's like henchmen have names or well, they didn't pull their henchmen yeah they're not designed they're not meant to they're, like I mean um to give them a name implies that you're going to give them a story later on and um that would have again dragged the pacing of, that would wreck the pacing of the movie so it's um it's uh, actually just awesome that they're henchmen that actually like are badass and not just easily expendable because yeah, these henchmen because actually because we've prove seen in the MCU with Ultron sentries with Char with so many with the Ninja Turtle villains as they call them in Guardian Galaxy there's so <laughs> many just mindless rooms that we actually got and they weren't like acolytes that you just hit and they fell down you actually had to work on them a little bit to make mm -hmm. sure that they stayed up speaking of I, I don't want to pass over this what did you think of the um the levitation the cloak the, of levitation the cloak of levitation yes I love that little thing I love that thing so much it's the it's so cute it reminds me <laughs> of the Christopher the Lloyd Disney movie from the late 90s with the zoot the talking actually, suit when I when I saw that I, I was reminded immediately of the magic carpet from Aladdin yeah that too I would like love to just, see a scene between Mjolnir and Cloak of Levitation yeah I feel like Mjolnir wouldn't even like have much personality in that situation though but um like I do think it's just it was so awesome that the cloak like it just feels like such a lovely little thing that like is so loyal to strange it just I love it so much it's so cute <laughs> and yeah. I love how it like kind of I didn't realize this at the moment at the time because I thought it was just the cloak being funny but um when it when he was looking in the mirror and he like throws the cloak up dramatically what it's actually doing when it's touching his face is wiping away his tears and I'm yeah. just like some people poo-pooed on that I I thought it was cute yeah. and sweet I didn't even realize that at the time and then but then once I read it I was like oh that's actually really cute oh it's such yeah. a sweet it's just such a sweet little thing and I'm just like hmm it's and you, of course you know something bad's gonna happen to it at some point now yeah. <laughs>
probably. But di I didn't know they were gonna put this in there somewhere, and I'm kind of glad they did. Was you got your traditional Doctor Strange big? What's the big collar? Oh yeah, yeah, the um, yeah, like the ridiculous high collar. And I like it because the cloak of levitation can obviously move, so you don't, right. he doesn't have to have the stupid high collar thing all the time. Yeah, and I mean it's uh, <laughs> it would have been kind of funny if he um, uh, if he did have that look all the time though. But I mean it is nice to just like keep it um, yeah so. It's just, it's just like it's it's such a well put together movie. The more I think about it, I just I love how well the movie like was thought about and put together. And I like I think this is what I'm saying that I feel like I can feel the passion for the project in the movie. It just well, going back to what you said earlier, like there were reports and interviews from Kevin Feige that said way back when they were doing the first Thor movie, he had they had asked him what Marvel character would you really want to do if you he said Doctor Strange. Yeah, he said Doctor Strange. So it's been like, yeah. He's been working on this for a long time. Yeah, and um, like I said, he found someone with just as much passion for the project and Scott Derrickson as he did. So it's it's just a movie that feels like the, the culmination of so many dreams. And I feel bad that so many people are angry at it for just one element of it when it really is an amazingly put together movie. And um, one thing we haven't talked about yet uh, is just the performances and all. It was like we mentioned Tilda Swinton, but like everybody in the movie was gave an amazing performance and Benedict especially. Like it was his movie to carry and he not only carried it he picked it up and held it over his head and ran with it <laughs> clearly, clearly the film is centered around him and right yeah, like so he's our gateway to this world and that's yeah. obvious like it's obvious in that way so. uh, unlike thor the dark world and iron yeah. man 2 which i think are like the biggest perpetrators of this everybody had equal screen time for what they needed to do and i don't think people are giving it enough giving this film even the people that are praising this film they're not not giving it enough credit for how well the writing hits yeah. for what it needs to and and I can't be, be I'd be remiss to not mention this this is Kevin Feige's first Marvel movie that he's done without Ichrome Mutter over his shoulder saying you can't do this you can't this you can't this yeah like, this well is, actually the entire creative committee committee quote unquote that was like yeah that's, that wasn't here for this film that ended right. with Civil War and yeah, you and, can see and if this is what we're gonna get from now on on. Bring it on. I'm, yeah, I'm really excited. And it's, um... And look at it this way. This We're only in number two of phase two. Yeah. And we still got, like, eight phase other films. Three, well, number two of phase three. Yeah, number two of phase We're only in... Uh, that just blows my mind, because you think with Civil War it would be, like, toward the end. We haven't even scratched the surface. Yeah, I'm really excited, and especially with the Guardians 2 teaser coming around, it, it looks like Marvel is headed in a very strong direction in terms of just quality of filmmaking and just the quality of the, um, story as it comes around and I'm interested to see what happens with the Spider-Man Homecoming trailer because I think that's going to be really cool too. Um, Speaking of story, we we can't overlook this. Um, with the Sanctum Sanctorum, with the multiverse, they yeah. do mention that there are other forces at play here and even though they didn't say the name, Thanos is going to know that the Ancient One is gone and he's yeah. going to know where the, the Eye of Agamotto or as we found out in this episode, this episode so this film, sorry. The Time Stone. The Time Stone, which you called. I have yeah. to give you credit for that. Well, I said I Soul mean, Stone, you said Time Stone, and you were absolutely well, well, I mean, that every article has said that they were messing around with time, so it's not like it couldn't, it's not, it's not like it could be anything else. But with Astral <laughs> but, Form, I, I yeah. thought it could, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think it's like, um, uh, 
uh, it is going to be interesting. Like once, it, I mean, the soul, the time stone definitely seems like one of the most forgiving of the Infinity Stones so far because it hasn't really like it, it won't show anything. anybody yet. It doesn't, it doesn't show any negative effects to the users that we know of so far. Yeah, even the even the Tesseract had like yeah. no anything. Yeah, wow. but the thing about it is when the when the mind the mind stone is a little bit hard to wield, but it seems like it's decent. But again, like. The time stone seems to be like a vicious, um, like a seems to be like a um, like a cat. It will if you respect it, it'll respect you. But if you don't know what the fuck you're doing with it, it's gonna burn you hard. Swear jar, so, James. Swear jar. Still, yeah. <laughs> like like it because if you like Mario said, you could get stuck in a time loop and you could know not know how to get out of it and you would be screwed. So um, it's just a it's a, it's a it definitely seems like the time stone is a it, is it seems like it fits with Strange very well. But um, once Thanos comes around, it's gonna be a really interesting to see where all these characters like come together around okay, this let's and, go through our t- oh, let's go through our infinity stones like charts at home let's pull those up the tesseract <laughs> is on asgard the ether right? or the, the tesseract or the space stone is on asgard the ether or the reality stone is with the collector the mind stone is with the vision the power stone is with the no core and for right now anyway the um the, the eye of agamotto or the time stone is with dr strange in one of the sinks it's and actually the, in the because that's in the center that's in the center of like the door between the different sanctum the different sanctums so it's in camera touch and this actually ties in to the mid-credit scene which one of my friends or one youtube show i watched said that the mid-credit and the end credit should have been switched i kind of agree with that what do you yeah i think so but um it makes more sense i think because more people will want to stick around for the mid-credits and not wait through the end credits so the mid credits, like you want to, you want to let them know that Strange is going to come back as soon as as soon as possible because you end on Strange, so you want to like, um, go. You want to stick with Strange and then kind of put that uh, thing that's like not related to him at the or not as related to him at the very end. So I can see why they did that. It just um, really it would have it probably it's not an ideal situation either way. So any kind of like it's kind of like pointless to put Doctor Strange will return when he just had that conversation with Thor. Yeah, but nonetheless. It's um and I if do, it was I, the end credit scene, I'm saying. Yeah, I do have to say though, they um I didn't like this is a great way to announce that uh, um Doctor Strange is going to be in Thor Ragnarok. And, I hope um, he's not in too much though. I think it, from what I understand about the story, I imagine it's, it's the Doctor Strange will probably be introduced like two thirds of the way through. I would think, yeah. but um or maybe one third. I don't know for sure, but like that's what I would that's what I would expect just based on the way that the scene felt because it seems like Thor comes there after a significant portion of the movie has already been um, played out. So, and this is for our hardcore listeners out there. You remember seeing, and I remember posting, um, the fact that Doctor Strange and Thor Ragnarok were pretty much like next door to each other in terms of filming. Yeah, well, I mean, they had to because um, Taika Waititi directed that uh, mid credit scene because it's actually a part of the movie. And yeah, they had it's to, kind of yeah. like what we saw at the end of Ant Man with Civil yeah. War. And they had to, and they had to shoot that it, because before they tore that set down, so it was um, necessary that they did that. And it's, uh, I think it worked out great. And it's, um, I'm really excited to see, like, what he does in Thor Ragnarok. Because, honestly, like, that's another thing about this movie, 
movie too is that it explained although although they did mention allude to this in the deleted scene of the thor dvd so it's one that you'd have to dig for but they mentioned in the thor deleted scenes i don't remember which one but you can use dark energy to travel between um the between midgard and asgard yeah and thor used it did, in the avengers because yeah the yeah and, it, was and they hadn't um they explained it in the thor deleted scene but they didn't um uh explain it in the, any of the up and they didn't really explain in the avengers and then they finally explained like what dark energy actually is in this movie so this movie actually really goes a long way in like helping along the mythology of thor and i wouldn't be surprised if in future movies they kind of like bring the idea of the asgardians as sorcerers closer because i think odin is definitely like he fits under the category of a sorcerer even if not in name so and to keep and to keep with the continuity of the mcu we all remember even if you've heard nothing of the story of thor ragnarok um thor is looking for the infinite stones that is his mission and probably yeah. he heard of the sorcerer supreme he was probably looking for the ancient one and he found dr strange with his awesome elbow gloves from the comic <laughs> well he said he's also looking for odin and with loki but what i find interesting is how they're gonna like make it seem uh um like plausible or like how they're gonna have loki keep away the fact that he must know because he was standing right in front of odin when he disappeared in the dark world at, in disguise but yeah, yeah. And apparently Odin wants to be a hobo in New York City. That is his, or, that is his or dream. That's, that's what they. That's what uh, Thor thinks it seems. So I'm just really excited for Thor Ragnarok. It's for even more than I was before. But I was. Um, I am really excited now, and I was excited before because like the tone of the movie, from what I've heard, is going to resemble a very like a He-Man '80s like gladiator style movie in a lot of ways, and then it's going to feel like it's going to resemble the Norse myths, which I am actually a really big the original Norse myths, which I really like, and Taika Waititi's humor, from what I understand, is very in line with those because the Norse myths are very uh off in some ways like you have a like thor has well it's not i think actually yeah, it's thor thor in the norse myths has goats that he just kills and eats every night and as long as he doesn't break any of their bones like they just grow back they just like regenerate every night and um kevin feige if you're listening to us please put that into one of the thor movies <laughs> and they just and they just they talk and everything else and it's just if you read percy if you read rick reardon's um magnus chase series about the norse myths it basically captures the tone of the norse myths perfectly so if you want some background on like what the tone of Thor Ragnarok might be read Rick Reardon's Magnus Chase series so yeah um I this makes me feel so more excited for Thor Ragnarok because let's be honest the Thor films like yeah the Thor films are the worst ones of the yeah like they were not and I understand some female fans and some male fans are like yay Thor but in terms of story like the Thor films have not been there with Taika Waititi with Kate Blanchett with Jeff Goldblum with Tom Benedict with, um, Carl Urban, Carl Urban, um, uh, Mark, Mark Ruffalo, and this is one of those movies like Civil War that I hope goes two hours and thirty minutes. Yeah, I could, yeah, I could see it going that long. I could also see it going like as short as Doctor Strange. So we'll see what happens. But I think, um, hopefully, the screenwriters and Taika Waititi like under like they recognize the pacing problems of uh, the Dark World and can hopefully fix that and like address and like uh just make a movie that understands that a little bit better and. Um, I think it's going to be uh, I think Thor Ragnarok is going to re restore a little bit more um, uh, dignity to the Thor franchise at least in my mind so. and hopefully Thor will 
we'll finally get the Thor film from the comics. Because we really yeah. haven't gotten... I mean, I'm not that big of a Thor fan because I'm similar to Joss Whedon. Thor is not the easiest character to write because he doesn't yeah, talk like... He doesn't talk like everybody else. He doesn't um, get... He doesn't have really situations that are very much like anybody well, else. he's male but, model, man. It's hard to yeah. empathize with male model. Well, he's he's the Superman of the Marvel Universe in yeah. a lot of ways. He really is. And um, he's... Uh, yeah, he just, like, he's... Um, he just comes from a very unrelatable place, but I think, like, tying him to Doctor Strange and having their worlds collide is going to make um, his uh, world seem a little bit more uh, realistic and it's going to make his world seem a little bit more understandable. And I think it's going to just make the character a lot more um, relatable to a lot more people. And I think they're going to nail the tone that they're kind of been lo- they kind of been searching for for the past two Thor movies with, like, juggling between humor and uh, seriousness. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, one thing we found out from this from this um from this movie is when you're looking for dr strange when you're looking for the best beer in town in new york go to dr strange <laughs> yeah because he'll give you free refills yeah um i just love how i like the shot that where it's like he has a full stein and then like next shot cut away immediately he just like it's totally empty <laughs> that, that's total taika watiti like total if you wa- if you watched um flight of the concords on hbo there's all kinds of gags like that on purpose oh yeah and i like i haven't seen uh, anything that he's done yet but i really want to and i um hunt for the wilder people is really good yeah i've heard yeah i heard good things about that one i heard good things about what we do in the shadows yeah i'm uh yeah just like everything i've heard about him as director and writer and like his the tone of his movie sounds perfect for thor so i'm really excited um normally we don't do this for our agents of fuel joe um i think it did this movie a five out of five what do what do you think i think it's a lot more a lot easier to find nuance in a 10 out of 10 scale so i'm gonna say a nine out of ten just because i I uh, do feel like like the diversity problem becomes a little bit more like uh, I, you see the di- like the diversity problem, especially in light of Scott Derrickson's interview. Like it becomes much more uh, forefronted here, and you and you start to see like where like Marvel's problems with that. And I hope uh, Kevin Feige takes some lessons from this, and I hope uh, Scott Derrickson, especially for the second movie, like thinks about that a little bit more. So, um, but yeah, I really want to see more of Doctor Strange, and I want to see this character um, shine in later movies, and I think he will. Like because I saw a poster, a fan made poster for the new Avengers like what might happen after Infinity War and Strange was uh, front center behind um, Captain Marvel it was Captain Marvel Doctor Strange um, Black Panther Spider-Man uh, Ant-Man the Wasp and Black Widow I think and if I said uh, I commented on it throw in Hawkeye and I am sold yeah so. we're gonna break from tra- tradition here on the Marvel podcast for a little bit because I'm sorry I skipped over this um, Kevin Feige did an interview a couple weeks ago where he air quotes accidentally that revealed Chikino that Michael Chikino is the composer for Spider-Man. I think this is wonderful. Um, Chikino is really the successor to John Wayne. John Wayne yeah, starts. I have noticed that he seems to be taking a lot more uh, high-profile work recently, and he seems to be getting offered a lot more high-profile work. And I don't yeah, think there's anything I, that he's done that I've not liked. Yeah, but I, like when I was watching the movie, like I honestly didn't notice the score that much because it uh, it was so organic that it didn't really stand out to me. It just felt like it was part of the movie. And yeah, I um, love the. What I'm thinking is the Doctor Strange theme at the end with the stars. I don't even remember, honestly. I've just like I, the score was so integral that it doesn't stand out in my memory. So I just I just think the movie and it, the score is not a part of it for some reason. And I'm not saying that's a bad way. I feel like the, it set the tone of the movie so well that I didn't even notice it. But do you think for Spider-Man, it yeah. needs to have a more what's it's, the it's term? Um, lighthearted. Or, no, aggressive, like more traditional, like super. Identical theme, themes yeah. and 
score? What, what, it's gonna like Michael Giacchino. If you don't already know, as um, he did the score for Up, for example, and, and I think, the Incredibles. Uh, That's the first time I ever heard. I didn't even realize he did the score for the Incredibles, but yeah, I think this his Incredible score is gonna be a big influence on his uh, work in Spider-Man. Just like yeah. that kind of da 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 da, just that um, just that like dramatic, just superhero feeling kind of music. Like that's what I think is gonna be a uh, key for Spider-Man. And I think there was also gonna be a lot more like lighthearted, upish stuff with the uh, high schools, like the high school scenes. Like there's gonna need to be a teen movie sort of score for that part. So I think it's I think it's a, I think it's a really good fit overall. And this is just for me. I'd really if they're gonna do a fourth Captain America film, I would really want Chikino to score that. It depends on the tone that they're gonna go for because I mean it's yeah. like with Winter Soldier, it was a very um, 70s spy ish movie, like uh, which I don't know who did the score for that, but whatever it was, it felt right. And um, first with Civil War, it felt like a war story almost, and that whoever did the score for that, real. So I think every every person who's done who scored a Captain America movie has done a was a composer who was right for the job. I just don't know. Um, like it, it's, it, it depends on the story they want to go for for Captain America Four if they do do it and they yeah because I it, I do want to see even though it's not in their contract necessarily I do want to see a for the Iron Man and for Captain America film. But um, I think I, I think it's time to give our listeners some information. So if you want to tweet us about Doctor Strange, please tweet us at across the at, at across awesome. the airwaves. There's no the because it reaches the limit for tweets. Yes, and um, please call us if you want to call us and leave us a voicemail at seven seven three eight zero nine three three six three. Please email us if you want to email us across the airwaves at gmail.com that is across the airwaves at gmail.com um we we also skipped over uh, some news about Hawkeye but I think we're going to let Nikki talk about more that more about that next week since she is the biggest Hawkeye fan out of the four of us um so let's I would come in number two just so you know <laughs> uh, well since we have you here what do you think about the potentiality of a Hawkeye Netflix show like they've tossed that around for a long time and I uh, I, have no- I have nothing against it but it just seems like it's been tossed around so much that I don't see it happening and uh, with Hawkeye's con- I don't want to say controversial but mixed review about him having a family in this universe actually, I don't know where you I liked t- it I liked a lot but... yeah but a lot of people didn't but my point is like where would you go with that with him well, with that story now yeah it's um you could do a domestic thing which would be cute but um that could also get old really quickly unless yeah. you like has a villain who finds the family and he has to defend them sort of like a skyfall style but um uh the other possibility of xe is i mean when it's right i feel like it would make sense to kill his family except for maybe um please uh, don't do a magneto thing <laughs> no I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like what his son's name again Piet- his first name is nathaniel right nathaniel yeah. pietro N- N- yeah. nathaniel pietro yeah um bart and i wonder if like it would be like maybe like uh his wife and his first few kids get killed but then he has to like nathaniel is the only one left and he has to defend him or whatever and like raise Nathaniel is a single dad in the city like that would be an interesting story where he just has to balance being a hero and being a dad a father to a baby and that would be um that would be a cool story I would like that but I feel like his family is not necessarily a burden but it um uh it limits where he can go by himself as a story and it takes a lot more talent to inter- integrate an entire family into a story without and them see like... the problem is with Jeremy Renner he's I... a bigger name so. he's a bigger name but also you have to think about it if you want to do like an origin story series but how he became Hawkeye wouldn't it just be more feasible to have a younger actor doing Hawkeye instead of Jeremy a la Howard Stark well actually what might even be better is um, just pull a Luke Cage style with it and do the um, uh, like have 
the have the past like have something from his past but like have his brother like his have his brother come back to him somewhere and um that forces him to look at, back at his past and, th- and that's how you can integrate flashbacks and then you can have younger actors playing them that's like true. that's how that's how i would see that working that's true you could could totally see it that way but um i think that's uh, i think that's it now it's time to roll that pre-recorded closing okay so we have a big big spoiler section to talk about no we don't <laughs> um we will come back with our normal scheduled agent kill around the time that agent kill comes back on the 29th of november god it's a while long for it's 20 days yes um go see dr strange as long as much as you can take your friends it's already doing very well at the box office which is good i like supporting the brands that i love and have faith in so go see dr strange if you haven't i don't know why you've been listening to the show for about an hour and a half um so so with that my name is Wu S. Kim and I and ich bin James Hafer and ich bin Deutsch aus the, in uh, Sudanese <laughs> we've just gone to Germany Germany folks just gone to Germany okay with that we love you Dan on behalf of our fellow ATA calls Michael J. Petty Nico Reichstag Joshua Mercury Nikki Amy Stephen Astro my name is Wu S. Kim we miss you Dan Schmidt and by the way I know you were responsible for helping Chicago Cubs win like a week ago. Good on you, Dan. We miss you. Yeah. Excelsior. I didn't think we were going to do that, but um, just watching the movie, like, I was so into it, and I was just, like, it's honestly one of the best Marvel movies I've seen in a long time, and I, um, and I love that, uh, yeah, it was just an amazing movie, and I was, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, um, my initial thoughts on it were, um, they were kind of mixed coming in, to be truthful. I mean, Civil War was such a phenomenal success, and to come back with something completely 182 that, it's a danger, especially Especially what's been called superhero like origin fatigue, I think is the word that they called. Yeah, but this this movie felt like it was telling it felt like an origin story, but it felt like it was telling it differently than any other film had up until this point. Yeah, and one of the things, but once I saw the awesome new Marvel Studios logo, which if you did you see it in three D? No, I didn't. I didn't really. I don't really care for three D. So well, seeing it in three D, that new Marvel logo is fantastic. Let's talk about that a little bit. Was this the first time you'd ever seen? The I'd seen it. Like, I'd seen it like when they released like the little video of it, but I hadn't seen it before a movie before. Yeah. And, I, and honestly, like I, I kind of oh, missed so the old one, but I think the new one still is pretty cool. So. Well, the problem with the old one is that it looked too much like Fox's Marvel logo. And I well, think, it's the same one all the way across the board. I think. Well, no, no, they changed the studio logo. Oh. No, no Marvel Studios like side by side with each other. Before it was just Marvel and then underneath. Oh right, right, right. Yeah. But one of the things I really enjoyed about just that, just that new intro created by Michael Kino by the way he's the one that did the music for this film and for the right. Marvel Studios logo is that it was specifically saying we are Marvel except mm-hmm. no substance we are Marvel <laughs> yeah it was just um but yeah it was pretty cool seeing that new logo and I feel like um I just do miss the old one where it was like um like it actually kept the comic book pages in there because I feel like the comic books are very um integral to this and this and I, I understand that like it's, a, it's the studios thing and like they want to focus on the movies and the show and like the um visual aspect of it but i feel like uh keeping the comic books tied into that was kind of important so i don't know yeah true but yeah, at the same time you 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 want to embrace like they start with comic book and then they went into like pre-visualization and then they went into scripts and then you saw the finished product with the um marvel stuff in the 
like the actual cutscenes from the Marvel films, I think it worked really well. Um, let, let's get into the story itself. I've heard a lot of things about the story. I thought the story worked very, very well. It moved quicker, which I can appreciate. Because one of the things that I have a problem with the, with these big budget films since The Dark Knight in 2008 is that scenes drag on where they really don't drag on. Right. And this one felt like um, it used the visuals to tell a story in a way that was actually like well used. It didn't uh, necessarily. There was like a good bit of montage, obviously, but the montage was there for a reason, and it didn't feel um uh and it just kept the pace up where it needed to be kept up and i think the pacing was fantastic in the movie for sure and i think it's also another thing of you know stephen strange ph stephen by the way let's be confused <laughs> for stephen in this universe but stephen strange is not a nice guy right then that's what that was made abundantly clear in that scene where he was in his apartment i was like wow Okay, you are not a good guy. I think his next door neighbor must have been Wilson Fisk. I mean, didn't <laughs> it look like Wilson Fisk is penthouse from Daredevil? Well, except it's uh, you could t except it's not as tall up off the ground, obviously, because it's uh, eye level. It's like below eye level with a bunch of buildings, whereas Fisk was really high up above a bunch of them. So in my mind, they're the same building. Maybe he's just maybe it's maybe like Strange lives a couple lived a couple of floors underneath Fisk. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I I once again like they did with Daredevil, like they did with Iron Man, with like they did with you know, with not so much Steve Rogers or Thor, but in the first few shots, you are you're completely aware of who Doctor Stephen Strange is. He isn't a nice guy, and I've heard a lot of comparisons between Tony Stark and Stephen Strange. Here's the difference though: Tony Stark is being a jerk just for the sake of humor deep down he is trying to be a good person Stephen Strange doesn't care about him yeah you know? he's a he's a very um like even Benedict when he was uh first reading the character he was um feel, he was feeling like oh this guy feels very similar to other people I've talked to I have played before but um and he was very resistant to playing the role for that reason yeah but eventually they uh swung him around after they I think and after and I um think it was for the better of it because um even when Marvel like uh, I read for interviews with Kevin Feige and Scott Derrickson where they um said even when they were uh, like looking at other actors like Joaquin Phoenix and Ethan Hawke, they were still thinking, we gotta get Benedict Cumberbatch to be perfect for this. I can so, see Ethan Hawke, but I yeah, don't I think could... it would have been a layered performance like Cumberbatch. Well, Ethan Hawke, can... Ethan Hawke, I think, is kind of underrated because he is a really good actor. It's just that he doesn't get as much, um, he doesn't get roles that like really allow him to show his range. And oh, I think Joaquin... Absolutely. absolutely. And Joaquin Phoenix would have played, I think, a little too wooden. I don't think, Joaquin Phoenix is not really one I've noticed that um, has a lot of genuine humor. He's, I think like all of his humor is either ironic or um, uh, it feels very forced, but uh, Benedict Cumberbatch I think definitely has a lot of has a good bit of humor in his heart. I think with Ethan Hawke, and this is just my opinion of Ethan Hawke, is he could have played Doctor Stephen Strange, but it would it would be kind of a stretch to see him as the sorcerer. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, kind of, because he seems like a very grounded person. He uh, feels like a good old boy, and um, Benedict Cumberbatch kind of has that, like, uh, just that oddness to him that makes it seem like, you know what, this guy could be a little, this guy could not, could be um, a little weird. <laughs> I think my favorite thing in all these Marvel movies is your first shot with the main character, and I love when he's, like, putting um, Shining Star by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of like the same thing with Tony Stark, like, I've done this, like, hundreds of thousands of times. I could do this blindfolded probably did to just challenge himself but let's talk about the comic book origin it's pretty darn close to what we have in the original comic yeah i mean i mean scott derrickson i mean kevin feige has said like this is a passion project for him and i think when scott derrickson he found a guy who had just as much passion for the project for it and um 
both of them have said that that they love Doctor Strange's origin story and um, uh, the fact that they uh, like and you can see it in the movie like there's so much passion for the entire project going on every panel on every frame of the film and I um uh, and it shows in the story too because they really did keep it from what I know about Doctor Strange's origin story pretty close to the um, comic books and I have to say I feel like um I I did I did uh, dumbass when um Strange like hit that other car and went careening off the road like dude you had that coming <laughs> say, say that one more time I lost you there for a little bit. well like I, we're we're at um, before before Doctor Strange oh well I mean when I I said like verbally that when in the theater when like I when he um hit that other car and went careening off the road I was like you dumbass you had that coming yeah. And speaking of fast. that, I love the thing from at the if you save to the end the credit. Which, I obviously did. Yeah, with the last line for the witness that you should not tank about her. Text and drive. Yes, yes, I saw that too. And I'm glad they put that in just because it, it amazes me how many people still do that. Or multi yeah, well, I mean, he wasn't exactly texting; he was talking and looking at his phone. But it's not yeah, like uh, still he was not like attention. Um, speaking of that accident, my God, the yeah, it was brutal. Like, no, it was actually brutal. I was like, so, this is actually a really brutal uh, Marvel movie. I was kind of surprised. Even if it's not, like, violent or bloody or anything, like, there was still some pretty, like, it just, just felt brutal, like, watching his hands go through the dashboard and all the pins in his hand. It just, just, ugh. And did, like, th did this happen in your, um, in your screening when they showed the, the pins in his hands? Did this happen? Like, did you hear, like, an all gasp? Um, I don't think so, but, I mean, like, uh, I just, like, I, medical stuff, like, certain medical things, like, even when he was, um, messing around in that guy's skull trying to pull the bullet out. I was just like, like just like certain things. I just they feel icky. And it's, oh, that makes me <laughs> a little bit. It's not like it's not like horrible, but I'm just like ah, okay, there you go. Because oh. the reason I ask is during during my screening, um, they someone literally like I could hear something in the background. Oh my, because mm -hmm. like I said, like that thing is brutal. Even afterwards, we see not even in like a long shot or anything, but um, like scarves on hand yeah. and looking brutal. One of the most brutal dialogue when Cumberbatch Battle Rachel McAdams goes. Yeah, that yeah, like I said, that was the moment. Where I realized, like, you are a piece of shit, Doctor Mister Mr. Mr. Mister Doctor. Doctor. <laughs> It was just um yeah that scene like I think that's one of the very this is like the I think that was another thing that I really like um about the movie is that it didn't shy away from making their ca the character kind of unlikable in the beginning. Oh absolutely. Like even Tony Stark was likable and like, was likable when he was a jerk because you like you know where he's going sort of you know that what his situation he's about to be in but here you kind of like if you're not familiar with his origin story Doctor Strange like really put you off in the beginning he's just yeah. a horse. and for those who've seen the the 2007 anime film they keep up with that too with him just being very self-centered. I mean, it's like the kid who always got straight A's in school. I mean, he literally did get all straight A's in school yeah, because, like, like, he kind of rubs that in people's faces all throughout the movie for the most part. And, like, I understand it was angry. I don't, I don't take mandate, but I think you've been good at it. Pretty much been good at it. Why? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, and you, know, he don't, you don't learn hum humbleness only. Um, humbleness, I don't know if that's a word. I'm trying to think of, like, it is. anyways, that humility, that's what humility. Um, humility only comes after you fail, and when you don't fail at all, like, you, you lose the ability to empathize with people in a in a way and um, that's what's and that's like this his whole journey at uh, Camertage and um, not being able to spoiler alert obviously not being able to save the Ancient One was um, I think a big moment of humility for Strange well it's not even like like empathizing with other people when you can do things that other can like literally and we see and, that when he's trying to get other parents and no one can right and I wonder like it's interesting thinking about he said yeah, I could do a better job and then you wonder like if he had the ability to do a better job would he have this yeah. question so yeah um we, after the act like here's one of the things that i think marvel did very very well which is bigger than their villain album air quotes, 
second, but one of the things that I did think extremely, extremely well was um there uh there's there's forty yeah. characters done very well and they serve their the biggest yeah. perpetrator of characters that don't need more. Yeah. Like I mean I love Cat Denning, but we do really need that character I mean that's why I think they're cutting a lot of the earth stuff out of Thor Ragnarok from what I understand yeah. these characters. Um and also Natalie Portman I don't think is uh coming back for Marvel movies, so yeah. her and Salvo and understandably so the unwise budget, but yeah. I think Rachel McAdams' character was perfect for what it needed to be. Yeah, and I think and, she has she'll probably have more of a role later on now that there's a couple other characters that uh, aren't going to be as much in focus or in focus in different ways in the next movies. So or maybe not because the way they set her up, you don't. Necessarily... Yeah, but then and actually it would be kind of cool if she uh, popped up in a Netflix show. Probably, but... probably. Um, but after the one goes to everyone of Netflix, and by the way, before we before get there was a little night not with well, actually in the car scene is what you're talking about. Yeah, where his assistant <laughs> hit him. They don't yeah. say his name. Before. Yeah, it's like a 35 colonel who's paralyzed, but they actually said later in the, um, they actually said uh, in other interviews that that actually wasn't intended to be roadie, but people took it as roadie, so. Yeah, well, you put that in. I assume that it is going to be roadie. Whether it is or it doesn't, so. But you see Doc Chang's going to and no one's going to do it, and then he runs a guy who is paralyzed, plays by Benjamin Brad, who tells him about this magical place called Karmatak. Sounds like yeah. a drink that you didn't they Didn't he say that in the movie, or am I wrong? I think, I think they made it. I think they, but here's one of the other plots of Scott Derrickson as director. One of my problems with Marvel movies, in the second scene, negative effect, um, a lot of their shots are not the best way to, they feel like shot where you don't scope you know? Yeah, and I think um, Ant-Man and uh, Marvel, Doctor Strange have definitely like been moving in directions away from that because they want to, like even Stan Lee said that uh, oh, you got angry at the artists who were drawing Ant-Man especially because they always, um, they never put anything in this in this uh, panel to show like how tiny he is. So like I think they're, Marvel is definitely getting directors who understand like that they have to keep uh, they have to keep the world like fresh in their mind. They have to keep the world fresh in the audience's minds. And um, going with that, like, and there's a good transition into the visual effects of the movie. Like, the visuals were absolutely astounding in this thing. And I have to, um, the visual effects team, I imagine Scott Derrickson probably sold them for a lot of it. Just like, okay, tell me what you want to do here. Tell me what you need in terms of physical shot and then just go have fun. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, that's what it felt like to me. Like, I feel like the visual effects team was given a lot of free reign on how to create these scenes and it just worked out amazingly. Yeah, because the visual effects are the one thing that helped this movie more than anything else. This is one of the few movies that didn't really D and I'm actually not as a gimmick now. Right. Like, Again, before. I didn't see it in D. I saw it in 2D, but even still, it just but, like... But even so, up. you could see where the... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when um Dr. Strange goes to Convertage, I'm sorry, I I thought this was absolutely... And I thank the for putting this in. Thank for me, like, pointing out the fact of the whitewashing hunters when Dr. Strange thinks the, the old Asian guy is... And then yeah. shows up. Yeah, and I think it's, um, I haven't mentioned this yet, but, uh, Scott Derrickson said in an interview that the reason why, I mean, I know a lot of people got angry about the, that, um, Tilda Swinton basically is, like, playing a whitewashed character, but, um, Scott Derrickson said that, like, when he was talking with his writers, like, he always knew he wanted to make the ancient one a woman, but he, um, and he was gonna make her Asian, but every time they tried to put the script together, it, like, came out sounding like a dragon lady. Yeah, and or, he didn't um, want, Madam Gal. Yeah, and he didn't want to do, have that happen because, um, like, he wanted not to offend Asian people, so, but that, um, inadvertently did the backfired, so what I think that this shows, at least in my view, is that you need to start hiring more diverse writers when you have stories that have such a large element of another culture. You have to start having voices on your creative team that like stick that know that culture and know how to write it in a way that can be like um, that is like tasteful and works with the story and still works with the story. So and even um, still probably gonna get attacked because that's yeah, just but, how people work. Yeah, but I think if it would have made people less sad if you had like a if they had an Asian writer working on it who would be able to like to um like integrate the uh, ancient ones Asian this a little bit more fluidly but yeah, yeah. but it, it uh it's i still think Tolis win 
gave a fantastic performance with what she had and she definitely felt like right for the part um even if she is white it's just like she had that aura about her of like having knowing more than she said for sure but on to like here's the thing though like no one seemed to well because no one like when I was talking but I haven't seen anybody or heard anybody played about she would tell you being yeah. calm or well, when that character in the well I mean people are um I think the thing about it is that people are more open to having uh more diverse interpretations of characters especially since most of the characters that were created already were white so introducing some other um elements yeah. of uh so in, that's why that's why hamilton exists because like it's a and that's why hamilton's so popular is because it takes people who are all white but it, like thinks about it more creatively and, and and like cast actors who are more who are right for the part but aren't necessarily white so yeah, in fact like in fact i think they're encouraged to um uh they're encouraged to uh cast uh, actors of color so yeah, yeah. except but, for george who i think they make white deliberately so <laughs> yeah i mean but going to the ancient one and going to call Mordo, i love tilda swinton in this she's so captivating talk and i think and she can also nail a uh, humorous line so yeah and i love when take strain on his first magical mirror to <laughs> the different realms and speaking of i caught this and i don't know if many people did dr strain goes through the micro i think i yeah like there's like yeah there's like stuff that's really big around him i guess i, I think i saw that like yeah, quantum we realm saw the microverse name it and um, I'm so glad they brought that because Kevin Feige has talked about the universe, which quite frankly made me base palm. Because I mean, anybody who knows anything about the multiverse, it is very good. Yeah, and I, th I think Kevin Feige is uh, has, knows what he's doing, and he knows how to direct this uh, big, huge ship that's going around. So I think it's gonna be fine. And I think if um this out this opens up a big door where if they ever get the right to um Fantastic Four or X Men back, this is a really way a good way to like easily introduce them. So and I think yeah, Doctor Strange has been said already that like it opens up a ton of doors for the next uh for the future of the marvel universe and i can see that for sure and a ton um, of beers we'll be getting to it the end <laughs> the end of this but i the most amazing visual effect shot to me and i don't know it's because i i wasn't expecting it i heard about it but hearing about it and seeing it are two different things when the little hands spread up on the ends of doctor yeah yeah i was looking at i was watching that shot and they like I, I was i was having trouble like finding where i like i was watching it and i was like focusing on one little hand and i realized there was another little hand spraying off it. I was like, I'm trying to bind the end of the hand. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> yeah. And one of my favorite comedic acts throughout the whole thing, Dr. Shane says, keep me, which we, which we no. heard in the teaser trailer. trailer. And then she just goes, no. No. And then just drops him on the doorstep. <laughs> and for about, like, five hours, Shane doing, like, his best interpretation of Captain from Wally. When Captain <laughs> goes, yeah, nee, hey, hey. And then finally, the one from the Actually, it was Mordo who opens the door, I think. Oh, but... is, it, is it Mordo? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it is Mordo. Okay. Or, well, no, we never see who it is because he just says thank you after the yeah, door's open. Falls <laughs> like, backwards and he's just like, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> uh, something that was not a little bit. I love the idea that they brought a lot of men just because they're like one way make it to your way. What do you think right. about that? I think it is interesting and I think um, the movie definitely makes it feel like uh, the world is more complicated than just uh, one thing or the other. And I think um, it definitely like is very self aware of like it made it, the story explains complex issues with without feeling complex and it's uh and i give it a lot of credit for that and i think that's one of the reasons why i like the story so much is it feels complex but it's or it is complex but it feels simple yeah and, and by the 
way, we do need to mend the joke. What's in that evil? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, I just let, but the thing about that is just, um, uh, like, for example, Mordo's whole um, journey as a character and, like, how he doesn't understand or uh, um, he's not willing to see, like, the complexity of um, uh, the reason why the Ancient One is doing what she did, what she did and whatever and why Strange did what he did. And uh, the same thing with, I think, um, like, the Ancient, like, Strange himself, like, he fought, he kind of goes through that R2 where he realizes that things are complex and he can do things without having to do it the way other people do. And it's all about, really, I think the movie is a way about finding how to think for yourself in a lot of ways. And um, uh, Mordo takes that in one way and Strange takes it another way. And it's uh, going to be an interesting journey watching those two characters go head to head at well, time. I, I think it's also a way where you have the mom and she knows more than her children do. And the fact is that she doesn't want to let her children on because if what they know, if, if you know there's a way well, well, she knows that, Well, she knows that in Morgan's case specifically, if he did know, it would hurt him very much. So. That's what my biggest problem with Mandarin. If they can... Right. If and I think that's what oh, that's sorry, what Strange what? learns very quickly with um the book that he tried to open Dark Mandarin or whatever. And um at the fact that, they, oh, that the whole line with um, the warnings come after the spells is, I think it speaks to you have to do a lot more. You can't just do something for the sake of... It's, it almost sounds like Jurassic Park. You can't just do something because yeah, you can't. Yeah, I was thinking the exact thing. I was thinking. Like, you have to think about it more clearly. And honestly, it just makes me happy that um, like Jeff Goldblum, if he was younger, would be a pretty cool Doctor Strange too. And he but, will be in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, I was gonna say like he's gonna be in Thor Ragnarok. It's gonna be cool, and so is Doctor Strange. So that's gonna be fun. Um, but going back to what I was saying, like it, the reason the Ink one hit of what they could, what sorcerers could actually do, humanity would have. Yeah, and Castilius obviously does, as you see. So, see, which I think is honestly like people say Castilius is kind of a one-dimensional villain, but he really didn't feel one-dimensional in the no, movie. Like it, he's and simplistic, I, but that's not. And I, and I feel, and I, I think I figured out what makes certain Marvel villains feel that way and that the reason is that they never interact with the heroes of the story they only ever interact with people who are also villains or just people who are near them they never the villains and the heroes never get together until the last battle yeah which is like Ronan look at Malekith and Thor look at Darren Cross look at yeah. Zemo actually no I would say um, I did think Darren Cross was okay because he was interacting with uh, Janet or no not Janet Hope a lot so I I, get, I thought he was pretty good I, I think um, ones that stand out for me are Ronan and uh, Malekith because Ronan only ever interacted with Nebula who never said a word against him and never, so he never really got a chance to do anything funny with his lines and um except for that one uh, line what do you do yeah and then um well no but that was because he was interacting with Quill remember so yeah. like once, once you get them next to the hero they start to shine a little bit but then also th they only had a fight with Drax he never really talked much through it just kind of talked down to Drax he well never here's the thing about villains in general and but yeah yeah and the thing with Malachi the same thing is that never he only ever talked we were close to him he very rarely talked to anyone besides Thor and when he was he was always in control but the thing about what makes a villain a villain and a good villain is the struggle between them and the hero and that has to come when they're um, when they're uh, facing each other and they're battling for power in a way that feels like they're evenly matched or you can't tell what the outcome already is going to be but with um, Guardian and Drax's fight with Ronan and everything leading up with Ronan to that Ronan always felt like he was in control of the situation you always knew that he was going to win in those situations and it was only at the very end that he it felt like he was going to lose and that's honestly really boring because you never get a sense that this villain could fail. It just feels like an endless dread that doesn't really pull off very well because you know also this is a story where the heroes are going to win. So with, um, and same thing with Malekith, but with uh, here, like, when you put this villain and the hero close by each other several times and they actually, like, feel evenly matched, it starts to, you start to see that this villain, it brings out the villain's colors instead of just one, so. Well, and here's the thing about because yeah. he is not a one-dimensional villain, he's a simplistic, but simplistic just not he 
wants a liver like right. and the thing of it is his point of view what's wrong with that what's wrong with, if you can shouldn't and the yeah. ancient ones think no you couldn't no you shouldn't because that's not pain well, should no. come in life because pain is part of it and i think the thing about it is like um the ancient one like he knows you shouldn't and because like well obviously she knows what happens on the other side of it but the thing is like Caecilius obviously knows that the ancient one uses draws on this power and what i think really is his deal is that he's jealous of that in a lot of ways and he also resents um power being kept away from him and the, the, the fact that the ancient one was not willing to that yeah power. And, like and um he didn't understand the torment that she goes through and he didn't want to listen to her when he said that because and that's the thing that it's honestly it resembles trumpism in a lot of ways yeah. and it's kind of bad but i think uh, and it's kind of poetic at the end really when um like they say like like you said like uh, pain is part of life well the life that the eternal life that dormammu offers is an eternity of pain yeah. and strange experiences that kind of firsthand even though he indirectly does it with the time loop and um uh it's just an interest it's a very like it's, it's just a very well-written movie in so many ways like the themes become the themes are so well developed and the characters are so well developed that i have to give a lot of credit to the screenwriters scott derrickson c robert carroll and um john spades because they did a great job see here and here's the other thing too if you extended that film 15 minutes to get a little more depth out of characters which i will say a lot of people the pacing would look at right and that's the big and honestly that's the problem with a lot of superheroes nowadays is you go into rabbit holes where you really don't go mm -hmm. and you spend time in story arcs that we don't support and I, i'm with you at that one of the positive things about the movie it doesn't stay on a topic very long because it's in the topic right. and the thing with the thing with like um the darkness of is you won't be able to feel and i think that's why i kind of want to have everybody now because to not right. feel anything is better than feeling but yeah i think what's very interesting about mordo's character is that of an adopted child that didn't yeah. know he was adopted right that's a good way to put it i think and um honestly like i feel a lot of connection with mordo and james from agents of shield here because yeah um both of them are coming i think from the same place mentally and i think that's why james does what he does and why mordo does what he does because they feel betrayed by the very things that um they believed in and they were uh um raised on sort of or like, like what they, they do what they feel betrayed by what they believed in and so that's why mordo wants to kill all the sorcerers that's why james wants to kill all the inhumans it's just the same recurring theme of being betrayed by those you thought were with you or those you or something you thought you identified with and i think where we're gonna go essentially in the next doctor whenever that is dormammu named after his mother dormammu <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Ever since I heard some of these names again, it's like, and no, and even as it's like, how much ass did they rub or liquor did they come up with? But later well, to find out that Steve Ditko apparently traded. Okay, he's like a unique. Yeah, Steve Ditko's a weird, an interesting person, but we'll go still, into that some other way. Still else, alive, so. still lives in New York. Yeah, um, I don't know. wonder what he thinks in the movie. He hasn't said anything about it. I don't well, think. Well, so. I like very much. Like, yeah, he is. The only person that he, only person that, but but to go into go back in Mordo, like, where they're gonna go with Tech Bomb, uh, this is similar to the comic where Mordo is pretty much. In this version, Mordo Dormammu. Yeah, but I, I feel like actually I don't think Mordo is gonna ever go to Dormammu honestly, because I feel like the thing about Mordo is that he um he sees Dormammu as the ultimate antagonist, and he sees Strange as an antagonist here because um he feels like like Mordo is the embodiment of non-compromise, and um the thing is that and that's the thing that we're running into in America here right now, and I think that's one of the reasons why another another reason why this film like rings so strongly is that Mordo will not compromise about anything. He will not compromise that Dormammu is 
the ultimate evil, and he will not compromise with anyone. He will not compromise on the idea that you, you should not reckon with Dormammu. You shouldn't even tempt. You shouldn't even like talk to Dormammu. You just need to keep him away. But you and, still need to fight. Yeah, and so, but um, he uh, he also think I think he thinks that the sorcerers are becoming too bureaucratic for their own good. He's like an he's an anarchist in a lot of ways. An anarchist. He becomes an anarchist in the course of the movie, and it's a very Steve Ditko character in a lot of ways. So um, it just it, that's what it feels like to me is that Mordu or Mordo is a character who um, is going on a journey and he's kind of he's lost his path and I feel like that's what a lot that's what that's what makes a great villain honestly is a guy who has intentions uh, who wants to do something that is ultimately positive but he goes about it in the absolutely the wrong way and he doesn't listen to anyone who wants to try and help him otherwise well look at it this way like like Mordo is Darth Vader yeah um, the engine one is Qui-Gon well actually more like Obi-Wan well no, no like, actually you're right you're right you're, 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 he is Qui-Gon really and the Mordo are, are all no, uh, no, uh, Mordo is Darth Vader, Drange is Obi Wan. And so. then Kwai 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 and um yeah and wong just like he is i think he's honestly more qualified to be the sorcerer supreme than dr strange honestly because if you look at him like he's um uh like in the movie like he obviously has done this been doing this for a lot longer than strange has he um he may not be necessarily more skilled than strange is but he's definitely like he knows the way he's like the hillary clinton whereas um strange kind of like uh bernie no not bernie sanders because bernie's been doing this for a long time too it's um Barack Obama? Uh, i guess yeah yeah, I think you're right, honestly. He's, he's yeah, strange as Barack Obama in this but case, But here's I guess. the thing with Wong, which I find very, very uh, kind of funny, but very empowering in a sense. He knows how good he's not evil power. Yeah, he's inter he wants to, he just wants to do his job and defend the sanctum. And, yeah, and, I'm uh, good at the honor of doing my, I don't need right. to do And I, and to talk about, because what I think of that, so I bring that up, like, was the first thing in the whole film was listening, like, um, Wong, Wong on his to... iPad listening to Yacht. Yeah, that, I just, I love how, like, Wong doesn't give Strange, doesn't throw Strange any bones at all. He just like looks at him like he is the dumbest person on the planet. But I think Wong, in a lot of ways, like he really, he Strange grows on him very quickly. And I think he actually likes Strange from the beginning. He just um wants to give him some. He just wants to like bring him down a couple notches. Yeah, because Strange that. Yeah, and Wong recognized that, and I think that's why he uh doesn't give Strange any any uh anything. So and Benedict Wong's laugh at the end is so he's so out of nowhere that yeah he lets himself have that one. But the through one line of Strange to go back from where started in the where it ended up with thing with Dormammu. Took me one or two times to understand on here, but what do you think of Dormammu? Yeah, it took, like, once he, like, died, it was like, wait, what? And then, then they re and the time loop went, I was like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. Uh, because it's, like, came, it was, like, no real indication of what was going on. Like, you knew Strange did something, but you're like, okay, that was something. And then, <laughs> then you then start actually have to, like, wait, what? And then, oh, and you just, like, once it starts happening, you're like, oh. <laughs> did, you, did you like the, the characters the characterization of Dormammu being a combination of what looked like um, Galactus from Rise of the Sorcerer um, either rather than well, Flaming Guy. Well, I think what's going to happen with Dormammu is that that's what he looks like in the Dark Dimension, which is his home. But my idea here is that in the future, if he comes back because Kaecilius is technically not dead, what he could do is just like take Kaecilius' body and possess it, and that's when he becomes Flaming Head Guy. But um, then they also run the risk of him looking too much like uh, Ghost Rider. So they gotta they have to once they if they do do Dormammu as a Flaming Head Guy, they have to be. Uh, they have 
has to make his design look very unique, very yeah. young. And that and that's the problem because you don't. <laughs> it's the same thing with the vision. The abilities originally the vision is and for this is for non uh, Marvel fans. But originally vision is red and but yeah, he's red and green in the movies too. No, in the movies more of a uh, purplish. Yeah, red. but it's still like same sort of color. But, but color my point is they made him that color to different from Spider Man. You know, there's a lot of yeah. red guys. Seems like the early uh, Marvel artists like uh, red. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you I understand wasn't... why they did what they did in movies. Yeah, and I think also from what I remember, if I don't know if I heard the film is correct or not, but I think red ink is actually was actually cheaper back then, so that may be why they made them so many of them red. But yeah. anyway. Yeah, but one, but what you said about Dormammu inhabits on him, Kaisa's body is another not cheap way, but another good prospect. Yeah, because I think Mads Mikkelsen would be a, is a great actor, and I think he could definitely keep his hold his own in uh, in the future of these movies. So um, we totally skipped jokes, and we shouldn't have um, the fight in Astro fight. Yeah, that was, that was actually watch. I thought that was I thought, from what I read that was like seeing that um, Scott Derrickson did uh, like spent a quote quote an obnoxious amount of his own money doing previs for to make a pitch to actually direct the movie, and that was like basically what got in the movies the previous for that scene. So. Yeah, and <laughs> you know what, you will get awarded for Apple. So yeah, good, good, good. I love the. We have to talk about fighting. It moves so quick. Need to see that in your yeah, but I think that was the scene that like definitely showed that was like the peak of the um uh, integrating visual effects and reality in the um, movie because I feel like the uh, trip scene was very effects heavy and not so much human heavy, but then what the mirror dimension scene is the one that really like um, shows that reality and visual effects work side by side in this movie and it's uh it was just really awesome like you're thinking of like I have to wonder like how how you can be Scott Derrickson and, and the visual effects team like pre visualizing all of this and managing to make it reality. That's one of the things that I'm like forward to wondering. Yeah. yeah, like because you can't. I mean, I mean we've been watching movies all the time. I think all the time. we can notice when they like and yeah. real. We know how visualization, and it doesn't help with it. It's actually kind of ditch when you have like three discs of special features. How they, but with this, you really can't. Oh. Mm -hmm. And by the well, way, I mean, you, you can tell, but it feels more seamless than it would in any other movie. I think just because of the magic element, so you like expect it to look a little bit different. And I think but, Scott Derrickson being a horror director, because I did look him up before we. Yeah, he did Sinister. He did yeah. uh, a bunch of. Yeah, he's done a bunch. He's done a lot more horror movies than he has any other kind of movie. And you can see that kind of horror element in the movie overall. I do not want to skip over this well. Great family hit. Yeah, that was one of the ones that apparently, like, with James Gunn filmed all the ones that he did for the future, like, uh, he basically, like, laid out a bunch of ones that Scott Derrick, that he, all the ones that he picked for Scott Derrickson, Scott Derrick just picked the one that he liked best, so. Yeah, so, like, <laughs> literally they had, like, like China pattern and, like, good China pattern one, but I, I really liked it. It came out of nowhere. They, yeah. Like, this they cameo... Actually, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you gonna say? This cameo is right up there with the first Thor film. It's my favorite Stanley cameo. Yeah, I think I like how it. Um, I think thing about the cameo for sure is that all the cameos that they probably that James Gunn probably filmed is that uh, they probably all filmed in front of a green screen so they could integrate them wherever they needed to in the next movies. And then um, I can only imagine like seeing Benedict and, or how they filmed Benedict come the Ratchet way to Legend Four, like filming the uh, them being pressed up against glass. Because I mean, I can <laughs> I have to imagine like them probably thinking, what the hell are we even doing right now? <laughs> yeah, because like that was one of the big turns of the. Star Wars prequels. There was a lot of green eyes, but um, going going back to like the effects and everything, I love the fighting in the film. There were yeah. not a lot of fight scenes, but a lot of people were um, not a lot of some people like were were like, why does Exilius like henchmen have? Well, they pull their yeah, they're not designed. They're not meant to. They're like, I mean, um, to give them a name implies that you're going to give them a story later on, and um, that would have again dragged the pacing. Of, that would wreck pacing the movie. So it's um, it's uh, actually just awesome that they're henchmen that actually like are badass and. Not not just really expendable because yeah, these hench because actually prove themselves. we've seen in the MTU with Ultron, Sanchar, we have so many, with the Ninja Turtle villains they call Dragalis, there's so <laughs> many mind room we have got. And they weren't like,
like acolyte that Caitlyn fell down. You had to make sure you say that. Speaking of, I, I don't want to pass up. What did you think of the um the levitation? The cloak the, of levitation. The cloak of levitation. I love that little thing. I love that thing so much. It's so cute. It reminds me <laughs> of the Christopher Lloyd Disney movie from the late nineties. The, the mm-hmm. talking Actually, suit. When I when I saw it, I, I, I was reminded immediately of the match carpet from Aladdin. Yeah, that too. I would like, love to just, see a scene between Mjolnir and Cloak. Yeah, I feel like Mjolnir wouldn't even like have much personality in that situation though. But um, like I do think it's just it was so awesome that the cloak like it just feels like such a lovely little thing that like is so loyal to Strange. It just I love it so much. So cute. <laughs> and yeah. I love how it like kind of I didn't realize this at the moment at the time because I thought it was just the cloak being funny. But um, when it when he was looking in the mirror and he like throws the cloak up to magically what it's actually doing when it's touching his face wiping away his tears and I'm yeah. just like some people poo-pooed on that I, I thought it was yeah I didn't even realize that at the time and then, but then once I read it I was like oh that's actually really cute oh uh-huh. it's such yeah. a sweet it's just such a sweet little thing and I'm just like hmm it's, and you, of course you know something bad's gonna happen to it at some point now yeah, <laughs> probably but I didn't know they were gonna put this in there somewhere and I'm kind of glad they did was you got your traditional doctrine big what's big called oh yeah 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 like the ridiculous high collar. And I like it because cloak levitation can often move, so he doesn't, doesn't have that stupid high collar. Yeah, and I mean, it's, uh, it would have been kind of funny if he, uh, uh, if he did have that look all the time, though, but I mean, it is nice to just, like, keep it, um, yeah, so. It's just, it's just like, it's, it's such a well-put-together movie. The more I think about it, I just, I love how well the movie, like, was thought about and put together and, I like, I think this is what I'm saying that I feel like I can feel the passion for the project in the movie. It just... Well, going back to what you said earlier, like, there were reports and interviews from Kevin that said way back when they were doing the first Thor movie, he had they had asked him what Marvel character wanted. He, he said Doctor Strange. Yeah, he said Doctor Strange. He's been yeah. he's been working on this for a long. Yeah, and um, like I said, he found someone with just as much passion for the project as Scott Derrickson as he did. So it's it's just a movie that feels like the, com- the culmination of so many dreams. And I feel bad that so many people are angry at it for just one element of it when it really is an amazingly put together movie. And um, one thing that we haven't talked about yet uh, is just the performances and all it was like we mentioned Tilda Swinton but like everybody in the movie was gave an amazing performance and Benedict especially like it was his movie to carry and he not only carried it he picked it up and held it over his head and ran with it <laughs> clearly, clearly the film is centered around him and right yeah, like, so he's our gateway to this world and that's yeah. obvious like it's obvious in that way so. uh, unlike Thor the Dark World and Iron yeah. Man 2 which I think are like the biggest perpetrators everybody had equal in time for what they do and I don't think people are giving it giving them. people that are praising this film they're not giving it enough credit for how well right yeah. what they knew and and I can't be, be I'd be remiss to not mention this this is Kevin Feige's first Marvel movie that said without Ichrome went over saying can't this can't this can't yeah this well is, actually the entire creative committee committee quote unquote that was like yeah part that's, of that wasn't here for this that ended right. so, and yeah. you and, can see and if this is what we're gonna get from now on bring it on I'm, yeah I'm really excited and it's um and look at it this way this way we're only in number two of phase yeah and we still got like actually phase three well, number two of phase three yeah number I'm really excited, and especially with the Guardians 2 teaser coming around, it, it looks like Marvel is headed in very strong direction in terms of just quality of filmmaking and just the quality of the um, story as it comes around, and I'm interested to see what happens with Spider-Man Homecoming trailer, because I think that's going to be really cool, too. Um, Speaking of story, can overlook this. Um, with the Sanctum Sanctum, with the multi, they yeah. do mention that there are other forces at play here, and even though they didn't say the name, they know is gonna know that the ancient one is gone and he's yeah. gonna know where the, the eye of Agmode or as we found out this episode this film so the time stone the time stone which oh, I yeah. think you prepared for well, I said I mean, soul stone you said time stone well, well 
I mean, that every article has said that they're messing around with time, so it's not like it couldn't. It's not, it's not like it could be anything else. But with Astroform, <laughs> I, I yeah. thought it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I think it's like um, uh, it is going to be interesting. Like one, it, I mean, the Soul, the Time Stone definitely seems like one of the most forgiving of the Infinity Stones so far because it hasn't really like it, it won't shown show anybody. It, it hasn't shown any negative effects to the users that we know of so far. Yeah, even the, even the test. Yeah, yeah. yeah well. but the thing about it, and the when the mind the Mind Stone is a little bit hard wheeled, but it seems like it's decent. But again, like the Time Stone seems to be like a vicious, um, like a seems to be like a um, like a cat. It will if you respect it, it'll respect you. But if you don't know what the fuck you're doing with it, it's gonna burn you hard. Where so, still, yeah. <laughs> like like it because if you, like Mario said, you're stuck in a time loop and could know not know how to get out of it, and you would be screwed. So um, it's just a it's it's a it definitely seems like the Time Stone is a it, is it seems like it fits with Strange very well. But um, once Thanos comes around, it's gonna be uh, really interesting to see where all these characters like come together around okay, this. Okay, let's and, go through our t- oh, let's go through our Infinity Stones like card at home. Let's pull those up. The <laughs> Tesseract is on as Ether right? or the Tesseract or the Space Stone is on as Ether or the Ola Stone. The Mind Stone with the Power Stone the no- and for right now um, time the, stone I- the Eye of Agumon time stone dark in one of the same. It's and actually the- in Camertage because that's in the center that's in the center of like the door between the different, sancto- the different sanctums so it's in and, Camertage. And this actually ties into the mid-credit scene which one of my friends or one show I watched said that the mid-credit and the end credit between I kind of with that one. Yeah, I think so, but um, it makes more sense, I think, because more people will want to stick around for the mid-credits and not wait through the end credits, so the mid-credits, like, you want to you want to let them know that Strange is going to come back as soon as, as soon as possible because you end on Strange, so you want to, like, um, go, you want to stick with Strange and then kind of put that uh, thing that's, like, not related to him at the, or not as related to him at the very end, so I can see why they did that. It just, um, really, it would have, it probably, it's not an ideal situation either way, so. And he kind of, like, it's kind of, like, pointless to put Doctor Strange when he just had that conversation with Orr. Yeah, but nonetheless, it's, um, and I if do... If it was I, the end credit, you Yeah, I do have to say, though, they, um, I didn't, like, this is a great way to announce that, uh, um, Doctor Strange is going to be in Thor Ragnarok. And, I hope um, he's not in one. I think it, from what I understand about the story, I imagine it's, it's the Doctor Strange will probably be introduced, like, two-thirds of the way through, I would think, but, um, or maybe one-third, I don't know for sure, but, like, that's what I would, that's what I would expect, just based on the way that the scene felt because it seems like Thor comes there after a significant portion of the movie has already been um, played out so and this is for our hardcore you remember see and I was posting um, the fact that Doctor Strange and Thor Ragnarok were pretty much like next door really in terms of filming yeah well I mean they had to because um, Taika Waititi directed that uh, mid credit scene because it's actually a part of the movie and yeah, they had it's to, kind of yeah. like what we saw at the end of Batman so yeah. and they had to and they had to shoot that it, because before they tore that set down so it was um, necessary that they did that and it's a uh, I think it worked out great and it's um I'm really excited to see like what he does in Thor Ragnarok because honestly like that's another thing about the movie too is that it explained although although they did meant, allude to this in the deleted scene of the Thor DVD so it's one that you'd have to dig for but they mentioned in the Thor deleted scenes I don't remember which one but you can use dark energy to travel between um the between Midgard and Asgard yeah and Thor used it in the event yeah, the yeah and, they, and they hadn't um they explained it in the Thor deleted scene but they didn't um uh, explain it in the, any of the up and they didn't really explain it in the Avengers and then they finally explain like what dark energy actually is in this movie so this movie actually really goes a long way in like helping along the mythology of Thor and I wouldn't be surprised if in future movies they kind of like bring the idea of the Asgardians as sorcerers closer because I think Odin is definitely like he fits under the category of a sorcerer even if not in name so and to continue with the continuity of the MU we all remember even if you've heard nothing of the story of Thor Ragnarok um Thor is looking for him that is and probably yeah. he heard of the sorcerer's dream he was probably looking for two and found Doctor Strange this awesome album. Well, 
they said he's also looking for Odin and with Loki, but what I find interesting is how they're gonna like make it seem uh, um, like plausible or like how they're gonna have Loki keep away the fact he must know because he was standing right in front of Odin when he disappeared in the dark world at, in disguise, but yeah. And apparently Odin wants to be a hobo in New York. That is his, or, that is his or dream. That's, that's what, they, that's what uh, Thor thinks it seems, so I'm just really excited for Thor Ragnarok for even more than I was before, but I was um, I am really excited now, and I was excited before because like the tone of the movie, from what I've heard, is going to resemble a very like a He-Man '80s like gladiator-style movie in a lot of ways, and then it's going to feel like it's going to resemble the Norse myth, which I am actually a really big the original Norse myth, which I really like, and Taika Waititi's humor, from what I understand, is very in line with those because the Norse myths are very uh, off in some ways. Like you have a like Thor has well, it's not I think actually yeah, it's Thor. Thor in the Norse myth has goats that he just kills and eats every night, and as long as he doesn't break any of their bones, like, they just grow back, they just, like, regenerate every night, and, um... Kevin Feige, if you're listening to us, please put that into one of the films. <laughs> and they just, and they just, they talk and everything else, and it's just, if you read Percy, if you read Rick Riordan's, um, Magnus J series about the Norse myth, it basically captures the tone of the Norse myth perfectly. So, if you want some background on, like, what tone of Thor Ragnarok might be, read Rick Riordan's Magnus J series, so... Yeah, um, I, this makes me feel so much excited for Thor Ragnarok, because let's be honest, the Thor films, like, Yeah, the Thor films of, are the worst of the... Yeah, like, they were not, and I understand some fans of the Thor story, Thor film, nothing, with Taika Waititi, Jekyll, Compton, Benedict, with, uh, Carl Urban, Carl Urban, uh, uh, Mark, Mark Ruffalo, and one of those delightful words that I hope go two hours or three. Yeah, I could, yeah, I could see it going that long, I could also see it going, like, as short as Dr. Finches, so we'll see what happens, but I think, um, hopefully the screenwriters and Taika Waititi, like, under, like, they recognize the pacing problems of, uh, the Dark World and can hopefully fix that and, like, address, and, like, uh, like just make a movie that understands that a little bit better and um, I think it's going to be uh, I think Thor Ragnarok is going to re restore a little bit more um, uh, dignity to the Thor franchise at least in my mind so. and hopefully Thor will, will finally come because we really yeah. haven't gotten I mean I'm not that big a fan because I'm someone just me Thor is not the character yeah, he doesn't talk like everybody else he doesn't um, get, he doesn't have really situations that are very much like anybody well, else he's no but, model it's hard to yeah. empathize no model. well he's, he's the Superman of the Marvel Universe in yeah. a lot of ways he really is and um, he's a uh, yeah, he just like he's um, he just comes from a very unrelatable place. But I think like tying him to Doctor Ange and having their worlds collide is going to make um, his uh, world seem a little bit more uh, realistic, and is going to make his world seem a little bit more understandable. And I think it's going to just make the character a lot more um, relatable to a lot more people. And I think they're going to nail the tone that they're kind of been look they kind of been searching for for the past two Thor movies, with like juggling between humor and uh, seriousness. So. Um. Well, and also one thing we found out from this um, from this movie is when you're looking for Doc Train, when you're looking for the best spirit down in New York, Doc Train. <laughs> yeah, because he'll go. Yeah. Um, I just love how, I love the shot that where, like, he has a full sign, like, that shot kind of like, don't. That, that's total Taika Wong. Like, total if, you if you watched um, Flight of the Concords on HBO, there's all kinds of gags, like, on purpose. Oh, you know, like, I haven't done really well. Hunt for the Wilder. Yeah, I've heard, yeah, I heard about, heard about what that is. I'm a, yeah, just like, I've heard about his tone is perfect. Um, normally we don't this for a show. Um, I think it is movie of 5 out of 5. What do you, what do you think? I think it's a lot more like fine ten scales gonna cut. I uh, do feel like like the diverse problem comes. Like, you see the di diverse problem that Spider's got here. Like it becomes more forced here. It starts where like more problem with that. I hope uh, Kevin Feige takes hope got the best movie. Like thinks about that a little bit more. So, um, but yeah, I really want Doctor Strange. Shine. Like, I think Will. Because I saw a poster of Andrew Newman might have next Strange uh, front and behind um, Cap Cap Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Spider Man, Wasp, and Black. I said I commented on Rowan Hawkeye. And, yeah, you know, we're gonna break from tradition here on Marvel because I'm sorry I skipped over this. Um, Kevin Feige did an interview. Go with air quotes accidentally. Um, 
revealed that Michael Cicchino is the composer for Spider-Man. I think this one, Gino is really successor John. Yeah, I have noticed that he takes a lot of high-profile game, a lot of high-profile. I don't think there's anything that he's done that I've not liked. Yeah, but like when I watched it, like honestly, because it was so organic and out of part. Yeah, I love the what I'm thinking is the docking at the end with this art. I don't remember how the like I was told that doesn't out. I just think the or is not art. I'm not gonna like the set. But do you think for Spider-Man it needs to have a more what's the term? Lighthearted. No, aggressive, like more digital, like super. I didn't think things. What kind of like Michael Donner does? He did the score up and the Incredibles. That's the first time I I didn't like score Incredibles, but yeah, I think Incredibles is score five, just like that kind. That 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 mad super kind sick that like Keeper Spider-Man. I thought it was a lot lighthearted, upish stuff with high side, high teeny sort of that. I think Spider, I think it's really good fit. And this is just me. I really if they're gonna do a pep, I want for them. Pen Tower Girls, cause like with Winter Soldier, the very seven. I don't know who scored that right. For Civil War, it felt War and Girls. I think every first score to Captain was a composed right up. I just don't like it. It depends on the story they're with. Because I do want this, even though it's not in their contract, I do want for Iron Man or Captain America. Now it's time to roll their pre recorded closing. Get out of across the airways podcast, network website, across the airways.com. That's across the airways.com. You can check out all of our podcast shows available as their own individual program. Get the iTunes store, get Google Play store. Guys, for the podcast shows, get our network. We have the DC Nation podcast located at dcnation.acrosstheairwaves.com. That's dcnation.acrosstheairwaves.com, which reviews popular DC comic related TV shows and movies. There's also the Marvelverse podcast located at marvelversepodcast.acrosstheairwaves.com. That's marvelversepodcast.acrosstheairwaves.com, which reviews Marvel comic related TV shows and movies. And we also have Thronescast, our podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheairwaves.com. Again, that's thronescast.acrosstheairwaves.com. In addition to these programs, you can listen to the original Across the Airwaves podcast, which is accessible at acrosstheairwaves.com, which reviews TV shows not related to superheroes, core Game of Thrones, like The Walking Dead, Doctor Who, Star Wars Rebels, Supernatural, and more, including sitcoms such as The Big Bang Theory and The Muppets. Also, you can listen to Across the Airwaves, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, the Game of Thrones podcast, and the Marvelverse podcast, and the Mixed Radio Station, Code by Jack Rifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the podcast box app. And if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our apps from the Amazon Marketplace. And the Windows Marketplace has a regular Windows or Windows Phone app. Because for how you can contact us to give your own listener feedback, got the TV shows we review, provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience, or just want to say, do you like what we're doing? Email us at acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. Comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, got across airwaves. There's no thought in there. It's just across airwaves. Join our circle, got Google Plus, or leave us a voicemail by calling 773-809-336. Again, it's 773-809-336. Also, when sending us an email, please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Get the subject line. Give you are sending us listener feedback you want us to on the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies, get television events. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Con, and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic-Con taking place in San Diego this summer to go along with our Comic-Con special. I, th- I, I think it's time to give our listeners some information, so if you want to tweet us about Doctor Strange, please tweet us at Across the uh, at, at across Airwaves. There's no the, because it reaches the limit for tweets. Yes. And um, please call us if you want to call us and leave us a voicemail at 773-809-3363. Please email us if you want to email us across the airwaves at gmail.com. That is across the airwaves at gmail.com. Um, we, we also
also skipped over uh, some news about Hawkeye, but I think we're going to let Nikki talk about more of that more about that next week since she is the biggest Hawkeye fan out of the four of us. Um, so let's. I would come in number two, just so you know. <laughs> uh, well, since we have you here, what do you think about the potentiality of a Hawkeye Netflix show? Like they've tossed that around for a long time, and I uh, I have not, I have nothing against it, but it just seems like it's been tossed around so much that I don't see it happening. And uh, with Hawkeye's, I don't want to say controversial, but mixed review about him having a family in this universe. Actually, I don't know where you. I liked it. I liked a lot. But. Yeah, but a lot of people didn't. But my point is, like, where would you go with that? With him? Well, with that story now? Yeah, it's um, you could do a domestic thing, which would be cute, but um, that could also get old really quickly unless yeah. he like has a villain who finds the family and he has to defend them, sort of like a uh, Skyfall style. But um, uh, the other possibility of XE is, I mean, when it's right, I feel like it would make sense to kill his family, except for maybe um. Please uh, don't do a Magneto thing. <laughs> no, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like what his son's name again. Piet his first name is Nathaniel, right? Nathaniel yeah. Pietro. N yeah. Nathaniel Pietro. Yeah. Um. Bart. And I wonder if like it would be like maybe like uh, his wife and his first few kids get killed, but then he has to like Nathaniel is the only one left, and he has to defend him or whatever, and like raise Nathaniel as a single dad in the city. Like that would be an interesting story where he just has to balance being a hero and being a dad, a father to a baby. And that would be um that would be a cool story. I would like that. But I feel like his family is not necessarily a burden, but it um uh it limits where he can go by himself as a story and it takes a lot more talent to inter integrate an entire family into a story without and them see the like... problem is with Jeremy Renner he's I, a bigger name so. he's a bigger name but also you have to think about it if you want to do like an origin story series about how he became Hawkeye wouldn't it just be more feasible to just have a younger actor doing Hawkeye instead of Jeremy a la Howard Stark well actually what might even be better is um, just pull a Luke Cage style with it and do the um uh like have the have the past like have something from the past but like have his brother like his have his brother come back to him somewhere and um that forces him to look at, back at his past and th and that's how you can integrate the flashbacks and then you can have younger actors playing them that's like true. that's how that's how I would see that would working that's true you could could totally see it that way but um I think that's uh, I think that's it now it's time to roll that pre-recorded closing okay so we have a big big spoiler section to talk about no we don't <laughs> um we will come back with our normal scheduled agents guild around the time that agents guild comes back on the 29th of november god seems like a, a, a while long for, for it's us. 20 days yes um go see dr strange as well as much as you can take your friends it's already doing very well at the box office which is good i like supporting the brands that i, I love and have faith in so go see dr strange if you haven't i don't know why you've been listening to the show for about an hour and a half mm -hmm. um so so with that my name is Wu S. Kim. And I and ich bin James Hafer and ich bin Deutsch aus the in uh me. <laughs> We've just gone to Germany, Germany folks. Just gone to Germany. Okay, with that, we love you, Dan. On behalf of our fellow AT calls, Michael J. Petty, Nico Reichstag, Joshua Mercury, Nikki, Amy, Stephen Astro. My name is Wuis Kim. We miss you, Dan Schmidt. And by the way, I know you were responsible for helping the Chicago Cubs win like a week ago. Good on you, Dan. We miss you. Yeah. Excelsior. <laughs>